Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, last night in Seattle, Adley Rutschman, former University, uh, excuse me, Oregon State University catcher, he went yard. It was a big game. His return to the Pacific Northwest. All of his friends and family were in attendance. His grandfather, Ad Rutschman, the original Ad, in the crowd for the first time, seeing his grandson play a game. All Adley Rutschman did is go two for five with a home run. We'll play that for you coming up. Two for five with a dinger. Big day as he rounded third base. He pointed to his grandfather. I love that. Pat Casey was in the crowd as well. He was behind home plate. Had a great ticket, he told me last night. Pat Casey didn't get a lot of time with Adley Rutschman, but be sure. The legacy of Pat Casey and Oregon State baseball alive and well in the big leagues. As the number one overall pick from 2019 went yard, big time home run against the Mariners last night. Adley Rutschman hitting over 300 in his last 10 games. Brought up about a month ago, has had some struggles, but it's been fun to watch him. It's been fun to follow him. A lot of people in the Pacific Northwest watching Adley Rutschman. I wrote about him this morning at johnconzano.com. I wake up and I think, you know, I, I think to myself, what's the biggest story that, that's going on? What's the story that people should be talking about? Not the story people are talking about, but what should they be talking about? And I think you should be talking about Ad Rutchman. Sherwood High School standout, big time story, made his return to the Pacific Northwest. I thought it was really special, really fun to see him shine. I know a lot of local media were tuned in to uh, what was going on in Seattle at T-Mobile. And the Mariners, while their season may be a little disappointing, it's fun, I think, to watch the local, the local uh, you know, uh, athletes do their thing. And so I think it's really cool to see uh, Adley Rutschman uh, with an opportunity to, to uh, you know, wow the Pacific Northwest. And, and here it goes. Here's, the, here's how it sounded. Went in on 3-2, Rutschman drives it deep to right field, off the very top of the wall, but gone. It hit over the yellow line for a home run. Well, you can certainly know where the Adley Rutschman and he's pointing to him. The fan club is. The fan club, as he rounded third base, he pointed to section 154. Grandpa there, his grandfather, uh, had not been able to see him play a professional game in person. This was uh, game number 30 last night for Adley Rutschman. He'll get another opportunity tonight as the Mariners will host the Orioles tonight and then again tomorrow. Uh, great opportunity. we got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about the Pac-12 Conference. We're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about football. We're going to talk about this LIV golf tournament that's coming out to Pumpkin Ridge Golf Course uh, coming up later this week. 
Will you go? Will you support it? Will, if you do go, what are you saying? All of that stuff and more. But uh, let's first deal with Ad Rutchman or Adley Rutchman. Uh, Judah Newby, you grew up in McMinnville. Uh, Rutchman, you know, he, he uh, ended up uh, at uh, Sherwood High School, but deep ties there with Linfield and McMinnville. And uh, people in the Pacific Northwest certainly proud of this kid. Yeah, I grew up going to Linfield football games, uh, Linfield baseball games. Scott Brocious is deeply tied into the city of McMinnville uh, for his Linfield stature and leading him to a national title. In fact, at Worlds of Sport last weekend, I ran into uh, one of the former Linfield players that won the national title in uh, in 13. Needless to say, you know, Ad Rutschman, Adley's grandpa, he's a legend, not only in McMinnville, but the entire state of Oregon. So I think you wrote about Ad. Uh, a couple years ago, and it yeah. really was heartwarming for everybody down in McMinnville. I talked to a lot of people about that. Like, he means so much. Don Rutschman, Adley's uncle, he was my driver's ed teacher, wow. and uh, he is a character, <laughs> man. So I've, I've got a lot of connections, you know, with, with the Rutschman family. So when Adley was playing at Oregon State, I interviewed him multiple times for the uh, baseball podcast I was doing from Omaha during their 2018 run. And he's just classy, man. A great kicker, right? Didn't he kick like yeah. a 63-yarder? 63-yard field goal <laughs> as a high school player. Yeah. And and for him to be, you know, from Sherwood and all the Rutschman ties to uh, to the Willamette Valley, and mm-hmm. then to see him ascend like this, it, it, it warms the heart at a time when the heart needs warming, JC. And uh, no one could do it better, I think, than Adley. And you were correct in your column. Like, he, he was shaky the first couple weeks. I was a little nervous. You know, is he ready for the big leagues? Yeah. And then these last 10 games, maybe, he's turned it on. And to have him homer at T-Mobile Park with Pat Casey in the front row, you can't ride it better than that. That was really special. Yeah, Pat Casey told me last night, I said, Did you, you know, were you there at the game? And he says, I was, I was right behind home plate. He said it was really special to kind of watch your, your guy get out there and perform. And... And, you know, you look around uh, right now around the major leagues, there's there's some Oregon State flavor in some different places. And and I think, you know, Pat Casey, while he has stepped away from being the head coach and now Mitch Canham, it's his program. I mean, I think you look at Matt Boyd with the Giants or Nick Madrigal with the Cubs or Trevor Larnick with the Twins and Drew Rasmussen's with the Rays. And then you've got, you know, Rutschman with the Orioles. And I think, you know, there's a lot for him to be proud of. And a lot for him, I think, uh, you know, to uh, and Stephen Kwan, too, uh, also uh, in Cleveland. So there's a lot for Pat Casey to be proud of. Uh, aside from the three national titles that he won at, at Oregon State, he's got sort of his fingerprints on some of the guys that are still playing in the big leagues. And certainly there's a whole bunch of other guys in the minor leagues that are Oregon State guys. But you you said something, Judy. You said we need good stories. And I this is something I've been thinking about a lot. And. Look, I I, uh, I launched my own endeavor. I went rogue three months ago. I am uh, waking up every day and writing the column that I want to write. And like I said this morning, I woke up and I said, what's the story? And the story to me was, like, I hadn't written yet about Adley and getting to the big leagues and all that. But I think, you know, during the pandemic, like during the height of the pandemic, I started this thing where I started thinking like, you know, I think people need uplifting stories. They need inspirational stories. And sports is the escape for that. We talk about this on this show all the time, that this show becomes sort of the oasis for people who are dealing with, you know, you got a uh, you got a bad boss, you got a, uh, a bad friendship that's imploding, you have uh, taxes and you have, you know, kids that are screaming and, you know, the dog's barking and you want to you want an escape from it. 
you're supposed to be able to come to this radio show. You're supposed to be able to come to sports and get that escape. But the problem is now in sports, what do we have? We have free agents that are bellyaching and jockeying for position. We have name, image, likeness. We have the transfer portal. We have uh, a quarterback in Cleveland in the NFL who was facing like 25 lawsuits and now, uh, you know, an NFL investigation. We've got um, certainly, I think, questions uh, around the college football of what, what the landscape's going to look like in five years. Like, it's there's a lot of serious stuff that's going on in sports. And so it becomes, I think, more incumbent upon the storytellers and more incumbent on the sportscasters and radio show hosts to not fall into the trap of only talking about the crap that is going to bring people down and the you know that feels too much like real life like even this LIV golf tournament feels too much like real life to me and so i am looking for heartwarming stories i'm looking for an adley rutchman story i'm looking for the story mark appel that i told yesterday about the the pitcher uh you know who made his major league debut at age 30 he was the, he was another number 1 pick so that's two days in a row we've talked about number 1 overall draft picks but Mark Appel, it took him nine years wow. to get to the big leagues. Adley Rutschman did it, you know, in like season and a half, <laughs> if you count COVID. So, you know, we need to tell these stories. We need to tell the story about, you know, um, Joe Cronin's great day, great week on the job, where he, he goes out and he trades for a Jeremy Grant and then turns around and makes a nice draft pick in Shaden Sharp. You know, I think that it's important to highlight that. How about George Klyovkov's first year on the job? Like, that was a win for the Pac-12 conference. How much better is that to be talking about than Larry Scott, Champagne Larry, wasting everybody's money traveling first class and sipping champagne? Like, I think we need to talk and tell good stories, and we need to share those stories because sports needs to be an escape. It needs to continue to be an escape. And, yeah, there are going to be times where I write critically or I talk critically about things. There are going to be times when, um, you know, bad things happen in sports that we got to deal with or a team's for sale and, you know, we're Phil Knight's jockeying for position and we're all talking about it. And, you know, there'll be, there'll be days and times for that. But we still have to tell those stories. We've got to tell the story of Adley Rutschman. We've got to tell the story of the kid named Shu who uh, was collecting Legos. we got to tell stories about, you know, kids and parents and relatives and, you know, I think it's important to share those uplifting stories that have to do with sports because I think more than ever, people are just looking at sports going, come on, what happened to you? Where did you go? And I know, you know, Judah, when you come to sports, why are you coming to sports? Well, it's for a lot of what you mentioned. Either it's for, like, the teams I root for, you know, like the Seahawks or the Blazers or uh, Ducks, Beavs, that type of thing, or it's for those those stories. I don't, you know, not to set you up to get on a soapbox, John, yeah. but... Why is that so hard? Why does it have to be a, a choice and an effort to tell the uplifting stories, to go find the uplifting stories? Why can't that be more of a default setting of uh, journalists and columnists and the like? Or am I misperceiving that? Well, I think people want to tell the positive stories, but what happens? Uh, the negative stuff gets more attention. The negative stuff becomes what everybody talks about. Um, you know, few. I mean, right after the Warriors win the world championship, yeah, some people are talking about Steph Curry and where he belongs all the time. But immediately we go into Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, what's wrong, the dysfunction of the NBA. All of that stuff almost, uh, you know, becomes the default position. And frankly, I think too often we look to the ESPN shows and the FS1 shows that are in the morning to set the narrative for the day. 
Like, that shouldn't be our default position. And I always look at this show. Look, I don't care if the show is on at noon or the show is on at 3 p.m. I, you know, I want to come in and talk about what is important today. And sometimes what's important today is going to be negative. But today, it's like, I, I just, I was like, you know what? Adley Rutschman's such a good story. Like, the crack of that bat when he hits it, <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah. Doesn't get any better than that. And, you know, such a such a good guy and an, and an easy guy to root for. And that's part of it, too, right? Like, you can't force feed the good stories. Sometimes you just need good human beings to succeed on the high levels. And you're not going to get that every day, but you got it last night. It was pretty cool. Yeah, and I think, look, the more that uh, uh, the more that we can highlight the ways in which sports help us. I, I made the comment the other day. I grew up watching those TV commercials. There was two TV commercials when I was a kid that just stood out to me. One of them was that Nest Tea commercial where the person is drinking the tea and having like a sweaty day and then just falls backwards into an ice-cold swimming pool with a smile on their face. The second one was that TV commercial, that Calgon Take Me Away uh, TV commercial. And I don't know if people remember that, but sports needs to be that take me away. It needs to be that swimming pool that we're all falling back into at the end of a hard day. And, you know, granted, yeah, we got to talk about Deshaun Watson. Yes, we got to talk about this LIV golf tournament. I'll talk about it coming up this hour. We got to talk about Baker Mayfield, who's, you know, moving on. But, um, you know, we also need to deal with the stuff that's happy we need to deal with the stuff that's inspirational we need to people need to hear good stories and so we got to tell them when they're there all right leave it here we got the bft statewide uh john wilner bay area news group coming up at four o'clock we'll talk about the pac-12 uh in the next segment i'm going to talk about how the pac-12 is being ripped off i'll tell you a way in which they are being ripped off and you know what i don't mind it i'll tell you more next Got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. These uh, LIV golf invitational folks, meaning the people running the event here uh, that is coming up at Pumpkin Ridge this later this week. Um, they are non-responsive. Like, I get the impression, and, and maybe you get the impression as well, that they are not interested really in making money. They're not interested in getting people to the event. They, uh, they are uh, just non-responsive. Like, I've never seen anything like it from an event that is happening in our region. Generally, they are clamoring to get on this show because they know it's statewide. I mean, they meaning events that come to our area. And if I'm interested in having people on, I'll reach out to them. Like, my feelings aren't hurt here. But I'm, uh, I'm gathering, gathering that uh, the, this event, and maybe we already knew this because of the money they're throwing at Phil Mickelson and, uh, and uh, Dustin uh, Johnson and the money they're throwing at Brooks Kepka. Um Maybe their aim all along, we knew, wasn't to make money. Like, this is a marketing ploy. It's a brand It's a brand play by the LIV golf people. They're just trying to disrupt the PGA Tour. They're not trying to make money right now. They're just pouring money into this event and building up the course. But I literally, they'll send an email out, send an email out with some details on what's going on. And it appears they're trying to make it about much more than golf. 
Like, they want us to talk about all the things that are non-golf related that are going to go on as part of this event. And I'm looking at it. I'm just – I'm more into the golf. And I'm more into hearing about the event from people who are going. But, um, you know, people are uh, – they're, they're reaching out. And I've, I've several times over several weeks said, hey, I would love to get somebody on the show, have you talk about your event, whatnot. Crickets. Nothing. I don't think they're interested in it. I think this thing, ultimately, we're going to look back on it a decade from now, two decades from now. We're, I think we're going to see that the PGA Tour, it woke the PGA Tour up. I think they're going to wake up, and I think they're going to consider some of the things that this new tour is doing. But it looks to me like they're not at all interested in making money here, that the aim is totally about just being a player in the golf space and spending the money that they think it, it is necessary to be a player. So keep an eye on that. Uh, we'll get you more information on this as it comes down the pipeline. And if, if they give us somebody to get on the show, hell, we'll bring them on the show. We'll give them a fair shake. We always do. Uh, in the end, though, um, it's an event that uh, I'm not wild about happening in our backyard uh, for a variety of reasons. I feel like the course sold out. Uh, I feel like the, uh, the uh, employees who are working at Pumpkin Ridge are put in a bad position. I'm now told that it, it's more than 30 members who have dropped their memberships. I think in the end they'll get hurt by this membership-wise. But uh, I don't know how much money Escalante Golf is getting from the Saudi government in order to take the event on, but I'm going to guess it's, it's uh, substantial based upon what we have seen golfers being paid. So uh, that is happening in our region on what should be a really good weather weekend for people being outside. So, uh, you know, I hope uh, hope you stay busy. I hope you do something fun this weekend coming up. Uh, I want to talk about the Pac-12 conference getting ripped off, though, for a second. And I don't mean it in a bad way. Like, sometimes uh, imitation is, what, the, uh, the biggest form of flattery, it's been said. And the Big 12 conference appears to be stealing the Pac-12's playbook. They are making their commissioner hire should be formalized here in the coming hours or days. Brett Yormark is going to be their hire. He is coming to the Big Ten or Big Twelve Conference uh, after being the chief operating officer at Jay Z's Rock Nation. So he will become the Big Twelve's new commissioner. Now that's way different than the Bob Bowlesby's of the commissioner world. It's different than uh, the Tom Hansen or even Larry Scott model, where they went at went from campus people to an executive or a CEO type. Um, the, it is evident that the Pac-12, which made a really smart hire, I think, by reaching into the entertainment world and grabbing George Klyovkov, who was president of MGM Resorts uh, Sports and Entertainment. Um, it, you know, Klyovkov's duties prior to coming to the Pac-12, he was he was focused on like T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. And the other properties, Mandalay Bay and MGM Grand, and he was overseeing the booking, the marketing, the operations for all these showrooms and theaters and arenas in Vegas. And so Klyovkov was hired by the Pac-12, seems to understand as an outside-the-box hire that there's more than one way to look at things, and the old ways are get, quickly becoming outdated and so, you know, we're, we're past the one-year anniversary of George Klyovkov, or we're about to hit it, actually. It's July 1st, three days away. The one-year anniversary of Klyovkov taking over, the Pac-12, is being celebrated roundly in the Pac-12 footprint. Now, 
you know, it was pointed out to me today on Seattle radio. I made a visit on KJR in Seattle, and the, the host there said to me, you know, what has Klyakov really done? What does he have to show for his year? And I, and I said, look, this isn't a show-me thing when it comes to the Pac-12 conference commissioner. He, George Klyakov inherited such a toxic environment, culture broken in the conference headquarters. ADs in the conference uh, shaking their heads and folding their arms at the conference commissioner who had been dismissive of them. We all know Larry Scott's act. And so Klyakov's first year wasn't about building something. It wasn't about showing you something. It was about getting everybody galvanized again, infusing a few new ideas, conference baseball tournament being one of them, positioning the conference for their media rights negotiations. That's coming down the pipeline. And trying to undo some of the bad feelings that had permeated throughout the conference as the conference commissioner, Larry Scott, had you know pulled into Pullman at 10 a.m. on game day and was gone by 2 p.m. on a plane headed back home. Like, he didn't want to spend any time there. Didn't want to connect with the member university. Really dismissive and obnoxious. And in the end, what I think it had left Klyovkov with in his first year was he had to do a lot of goodwill touring. He had to shake hands. He had to kiss babies. He had to show up at rowing and gymnastics and volleyball and water polo and soccer. He was all over the place. He showed up at the track conference track and field championships in Eugene and then rowing. And it was it was like he was he was flat Stanley, so to speak. And so Klyovkov, it's not that he, you know, didn't do anything, but the doing in his first year was largely about just bringing everybody back together. And I think he did that brilliantly. Now, if he screws up the media rights negotiations here in the next cycle, he's going to be criticized for it. If he fails to adapt, if college sports moves on without the Pac-12, he'll be criticized for it. But, hell, I'm celebrating what I think is a win by the Pac-12 because Klyovkov came in and immediately what I heard from athletic directors, and I'm tight with the athletic directors, uh, immediately what I heard was, this guy's inclusive. This guy is bringing us together. This guy is different. He's not a suit. This guy, you know, he doesn't come from the campus world, but he sure understands, like, where we need to go. And I, and I thought that was really interesting. Now, the search firm that, that – uh, the headhunting firm that brought G- George Klyovkov to the Pac-12 is the same firm that the Big 12 conference is using. And so I just wonder if the Big 12 looked at the success of Klyovkov and went, I'll take some of that, please. And I don't think it's a wonder. I think that's exactly what they did as they are looking at Brett Yormark, who is the COO of Rock Nation. That's Jay-Z's, Jay-Z's outfit. And so I think the college athletic world, which, by the way, pivot point, you've got four of the Power Five conference commissioners turning over in the last three years. Greg Sankey of the SEC is the holdover. Then you have the NCAA president, Mark Emmert, stepping away. Like, Klyovkov called it a a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Like, the opportunity is, let's change college athletics. And I'm glad that the Pac-12 conferences guy is out there out front saying it. And I think if you're a Pac-12 fan, you look over at the Big 12 copying what the Pac-12 did, and they're going, you know what, let's go to the entertainment world ourselves. Pac worked out for the Pac-12. Look, I don't know your mark. I don't know if he's got the smarts of Klyovkov, but I kind of like what's happening here, and I'm willing to bet that George Klyovkov and and uh, and your mark, Brett Yormark, 
I bet you they know each other. I mean, they work in that same circle, entertainment, arena management, operations, booking, marketing. It's the same animal, so to speak. Now, I don't blame the Big 12 for copying here because they, they are looking at the Pac-12 and they're going, okay, they're moving in the right direction. We need someone like that. So if you're a Pac-12 fan, I think take comfort in it. And also know that this could mean, probably does mean, that the Big 12 Conference is going to line up, I think, more closely with the Pac-12 and the Big 10 and the ACC than it does the SEC. And it probably is by virtue of its membership anyway. But if you're a Big 12 fan and you're going, hey, look, I'm an Oklahoma State fan, How, you know, what kind of hire do we have here? I would encourage you to look over at the Pac-12 and go, hey, look, they, you know, the Pac-12 put an entertainment person in charge. And, man, it has been really uh, refreshing to watch George Klyovkov operate. So keep an eye on that. I think it's important. I think it's relevant. I think if you're a Pac-12 fan, I think it's interesting. Punch and Audio is coming up. John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News will come along uh, uh, at the top of the hour at 4 o'clock. I'm going to ask Wilner about the possibility of the Pac-12 network content ending up on Direct, or excuse me, on DirecTV or Apple TV, somewhere where you and I can access it and find it easily. I think that's where it's headed. But I'll ask Wilner what he thinks of that. You got the BFT statewide. Hope you're having a great day. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Want to give a special thanks to High Caliber Millwrights, Brandon and the team at High Caliber. Longtime sponsors of this radio show. Also, they are one of the supporting sponsors of the Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. That's coming up July 14th. That's a Thursday. You're going to hear a live broadcast of that event right here on the station that you're listening to. We'll have it all as the celebrity golfers will be mixing it up out on the course. Last year we had a whole bunch of fun with that live broadcast going on, and you'll get a whole bunch of cameos that uh, show up on this radio show. It's also a signal to me, as here we are on uh, June 28th, that I need to go to the driving range so I don't embarrass myself out there at the golf tournament. But thank you to Brandon and the team at High Caliber Millwrights. Also want to thank Gresham Ford, First Call Heating and Cooling. Shout out to you guys. I want to thank Rick and the team at The Wall. They have uh, been supporters of this event for a long time. The Shoe Mill Shoe Stores. Love the Hubber family and Shoe Mill. Bricks Tavern, shout out to uh, Mark Byram at Bricks Tavern for his support as well. And uh, the good folks at White Claw, and I'll be happy about that. Thank you to White Claw, Adidas, and Breakside Brewing, who is providing the refreshing beverages out on the course uh, during that event. But should be a whole bunch of fun and should raise a bunch of money for kids uh, of the BFT Foundation. John Wilner coming up at 4 o'clock. In the meantime, we're going to play Punch It Audio here. We got the best sound from all around. Let's let it rip. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Serena Williams made a return to Wimbledon, but it ended with a dramatic defeat. Harmony Tan beat Serena Williams 
5-7-6-1-6-7 in the first round. Here's how it sounded. Punch it. And Serena Williams, Wimbledon return, ends in heartbreak. Harmony Tan survives an amazing match. Ten points to seven. Serena Williams uh, lost the opening set 7-5, then came back to win 6-1 in the second set on center court. And uh, she was up in the third, but Tan was very resilient. Harmony Tam said when she saw the draw, she was scared. She said, quote, it's Serena Williams. She's a legend. I was like, oh, my God, how can I play? Well, she played well. That's how she played in a uh, in a long match, three hours ten minutes. Tan emerged as the winner. Forty-year-old Serena Williams playing in her first singles match since last year's Wimbledon. It was uh, not a great return as as Tan went on to win. Harmony Tan with the win at Wimbledon. She moves on. Adrian Wojnarowski talking about Kyrie Irving. What the hell happened there? Kyrie was posturing and and uh, talking about getting out of Brooklyn. Then he went back, exercised his option. Here's Woj. Punch it. You know, George, essentially, Kyrie Irving uh, had exhausted, really, his options to get the kind of long-term deal he wanted uh, either elsewhere or in Brooklyn. Uh, it wasn't available to him in sign-and-trade. It wasn't available available to him with the Nets. And so uh, he takes that $36.5 million uh, player option on his deal uh, for the year and, and hits the reset button now next season, next summer in free agency. And you know, listen, we see what happens here moving forward with the Nets as they try to put a roster, continue to build a roster around Kyrie Irving. You know, Kevin Durant, listen, he could still be traded. Uh, essentially, he goes now from, you know, the idea of, a sign-and-trade if he'd opted out to. Now he's an expiring contract uh, that perhaps is available. But I think as long as Kevin Durant is committed and wants to be in Brooklyn, you know, then Kyrie Irving will be there this season as his teammate. Look, th they will be there. They will be teammates. Kyrie op opting in to a $36.5 million option with the Brooklyn Nets. It will be uh, a one-year deal, and then we'll go through all of this again. Now, he can still, as Woj pointed out, technically be traded, but the signs are kind of pointing to him being in a Nets uniform. Lakers have talked to the, to the Nets. The Clippers have talked to the Nets, but I think it's really messy with Kyrie. And I, and I also go, look, you know, when you examine Steph Curry's legacy, I think what we're going to end up talking about at the end of the rainbow with Steph Curry is we're going to be we're going to be talking about the success he had and the 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 success he brought to players around him. And I saw you know Kendrick Perkins talking about this and and talking about at, at length you know how much better Steph Curry made Andre Iguodala, how much better he made Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. I think it's really interesting this next season because we're going to watch Kevin Durant and we're going to watch Kyrie Irving, but let's watch them through the prism of are they making each other better? Are they making the players around them better? Are they elevating teammates in the way that Steph Curry elevated his teammates? I mean, I think it's it's kind of the, the beauty of what happened in Golden State. Like, 
Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. You know, you could talk about even the the role players on that team. And everybody sort of made the player alongside them a little better. And I don't see a lot of that right now in Brooklyn and some and a lot of other places in the NBA. But we'll keep an eye on Kyrie in this next season. Draymond Green talking about Steph Curry. Steph was emotional after the Warriors won this last championship. Why was that? Draymond Green addressed it. Punch it. I felt that for Steph, he's been ridiculed. And you're talking to a guy who, who does nothing wrong. Like, if you say, yo, show me the model citizen, I can show you Steph Curry and show you the model citizen. Like, that just doesn't do much wrong at all. And he's been ridiculed, uh, his, talking about his legacy. He has no finals MVPs, blah, blah, blah. As much as you don't show you feel that, you feel it. And I know he felt it. I think, you know, he felt some of that negativity. I also think it was kind of after the Clay Thompson injury, after, you know, the Warriors falling off some. I think it was a reminder to Steph Curry that this isn't going to last forever. And I think getting back to the top is a big deal. Bill Simmons talked about the players in the NBA who have a higher trade value than Kevin Durant. He found eight players that have a higher trade value than KD. Who are they? Here's Bill Simmons. Punch it. I'm going to give you eight players who would not be traded trade up for Kevin Durant. In no particular order. Giannis, Luka. Jokic, Curry, Morant, Embiid, Tatum, Evan Mobley. You don't think Cleveland would trade Evan Mobley? For Kevin Durant, no. You think that's it? It's the only eight. Well, I'm going to give you a couple more. Straight up, nothing else in the trade. Devin Booker. You wouldn't do it or you don't think Phoenix would do it? I don't think the Nets would do it. You don't think the Nets would do it? Nope. I think the Nets would have done any of the previous eight guys I mentioned. I'll read those eight guys again. Giannis, Luka, Jokic, Curry, Morant, Embiid, Tatum, and Mobley. I think the Nets are in on all of those. Look, I'll go further than that. If the Blazers were offered Kevin Durant for Damian Lillard, Judah, you think the Blazers do that deal? I don't. I, yeah. and, and and I think a lot of people on the outside would go, oh, well, yeah, you do that deal. Kevin Durant's a better player. But I don't think the Blazers do that deal because I think the Blazers are in love with their own players. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think you trade Dame for, for Kevin Durant. And that might be biased. That might be nuts. But that's the one part I would say KD's 34, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And Dame is Dame's going to have a birthday coming up here in a couple weeks. He'll be 32. So... That alone, I was like, nah, go with Dame over KD. Like, don't sacrifice him for uh, for Kevin Durant. But anybody else, yeah. I think, is up for grabs. And if you're 24 and the other guy's 26, that's not a that's not a factor in you thinking about trading for him. But when you're 32 and somebody's looking at 34, 35, you start to think, like, you know, do they have two years left? Three? And what are they? How much time do you think uh, Dame has left in terms of near-peak production? I don't know. And that is the big question because of the ab injury. I said prior to the abdominal injury that shut him down for the season, I said he has a lot of miles on him. 
I know taking this last year off probably helped him, but he played a lot. He and C.J. McCollum played a lot of minutes in the last few years, and they played a lot of minutes in seasons that you know were not normal seasons. So you had a very short off season, and I wonder how much that quick turnaround from last season to this, you know, two seasons ago to last season, affected Damian Lillard in his in his abdominal issue. Um, I need to see the guy do some crunches. I need to see the guy come out and be effective uh-huh. again before, you know what I mean? What yeah. if he starts off and he's he's just not, you know, it, we know. Anybody who's aged knows. You're not an NBA player. I'm not an NBA player. But you know that you lose something with every year. you got to stay on it. Now, he's 32. There are examples. There's guys like Chris Paul that have played on and reinvented themselves. I think Chris Paul's a different player now than he was a decade ago. But I think I'm going to say he has two seasons before we have to really worry about it. But if I'm the Blazers, I'm thinking about it while I'm putting together this roster this season because I'm going, look, if we're not ready to compete right now, I'm going to say it. It's going to be blasphemy. If you're not ready to compete, if you determine between now and February that it just isn't happening, Anthony Simon's not ready to be, you know, to be a every starter in the league uh, for, with a team that competes. Um, you know, Shaden Sharp is is he two or three years away? We don't know. But if you're not ready and you're the Blazers, I think you have to you have to start entertaining the idea that you don't want to be left holding Damian Lillard's contract at the end of his career. You want assets. You need to turn him into something. So I'm going to say two seasons. But I'm going to be watching him October, November, December, January. And if I start to see that the rest of this team is not on his timeline, even if he's playing well, it's really going to change my strategy. Baker Mayfield. Let's talk about him. He had a lengthy meeting with the Browns. Hell, in, in the time it takes me to introduce this clip, he could be headed to another NFL city. But he says uh, he says he's ready. He's ready to move on. Punch it. I mean, is it a little unfair that you still don't kind of know where you're going or what's going to be happening? Um, I think, you know, I think I got frustrated with it not happening before, uh, you know, like minicamp and all those things. Uh, but that's, that's the stuff that's out of my control. And so, you know, let those things happen and, and fall into place. And so right now I'm just controlling what I can and, and enjoying this. Would there be any chance of reconciliation there? No, I, I think for that to happen, there would have to be some reaching out. But uh, we're, we're ready to move on, I think, on both sides. Baker Mayfield basically saying his tenure in Cleveland is dead in the water. Meanwhile, the Browns are playing this, I think, a little differently. They know they may not have Deshaun Watson. Now, Mayfield was asked today about mending the fences. He doesn't appear to be there. You heard it. I heard it. The Browns have traded for Deshaun Watson. They've given him five years, $230 million guaranteed. The NFL is still trying to decide on discipline. If I'm Baker Mayfield, I'm I'm psychologically moving on too. You know, he's frustrated. He's in the fifth year of his rookie deal. Carolina would love to have him. Hell, Seattle probably love to have him. Would you take him in Seattle, Judah? So I would. I would. I think uh, Baker kind of gets the short end of the stick here. The dude freaking battled with a banged-up shoulder last year. Yeah, he heard it, trying to make a tackle on an interception. But, hey, you know, I I honestly, I love the way he competes. He is a gamer. He would fit into Pete Carroll's philosophy. 
frankly, his style would fit Seattle's offensive style as well. Not too dissimilar from what Stefanski's doing with the Browns, which is, you know, run the ball, play action, and then chuck it deep when you can. That's what Seattle's going to be doing this year. It would fit stylistically. I think he'd be better than Drew Locke. Uh, I think he would be better than Geno Smith as well. But I'm not sure it's in Seattle's best interest to have their best quarterback this year. You know what I mean? Like, no one's going to say it. Their draft position is probably a little bit more important than trying to make the playoffs this year. Like, that's, I'm kind of prepared for a five or a six win season. And I think if you bring in Baker Mayfield, you're actually making a statement. And depending on how much of the 18 mil you're willing to eat, you're making a statement that you weren't trying to get one of those, you know, top seven spots in the NFC. I just don't know if that's a realistic objective at this point. Plus, you're worried about DK Metcalf at this point. Like, they've got. Seattle's got some things to resolve as well before they make the quarterback play, I think. Does Baker Mayfield start the season in Cleveland? I say no. Man, I can't. There's no way. There's no way he starts with the Cleveland Browns. Are you serious? Like, I can't imagine a scenario where the number one overall pick does not have his fifth-year option picked up by his own team, and instead they get a quarterback with almost 30-some lawsuits against him and pay him a record amount of fully guaranteed money. And yet, Baker Mayfield still plays for the Cleveland Browns. No way in heck can that happen. And yet, at the same time, contractually, structurally, it's kind of possible that he doesn't yeah. get moved at all. I just have my brain as a hard time, you know, <laughs> reconciling that. Yeah. I feel like the Browns are going to end up the loser here. And I differ a little bit with strategy. I, I think the Browns are going to lose because I think even if Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson's going to be suspended. Baker Mayfield's not going to play for the Cleveland Browns. He will, I think he will ultimately sit out if if it comes to that. And I don't think they're going to be willing to do that. And I differ a little bit on the Seahawks because of Pete Carroll's age. I don't know if we're at a time where you can play for, hey, let's play for two seasons from now. If you're Pete Carroll, you're John Schneider, you know that you're going to have to eat some of Baker Mayfield's contract, but wouldn't you want to bring him in Get a look at him and know if this could be your quarterback for the foreseeable future. Like, I might give up a few wins. If Baker Mayfield comes in and plays lights out and you win eight games, you know you can play with that guy. You know you can, you know, let's talk extension. Let's talk about keeping you around. You're our guy. Because I actually think, like, I don't like the Seahawks, okay? People know that. I don't like them because I grew up a Niner fan. But I actually think Baker Mayfield scares me a little bit if I'm a Niner fan. He does, because he's got kind of that gunslinger. You put him next to Pete Carroll. It's almost like Jim McMahon with the Bears in 1986. Like, There's just a little bit of a rebel there, and it it does fit the culture. Well, I got to talk to you about Trey Lance at some point, too, and see how you're doing uh, with your QB. But Uh, I would would agree with that. It's just that, you know, Baker, as a player, Cleveland is the best spot for him and his skill set. And the only thing that, you know, gives me pause about him in Seattle is that Seattle – has a nice run game at times, but it, it's not the Cleveland run game with Chubb and Hunt and the great yeah. offensive linemen that they've had and Kevin Stefanski, who's a great schemer, and it's not the same uh, play-action game that they, they have there too. So, And, frankly, Baker's limitations, he's kind of short, and they just traded the short quarterback and Russell yeah, Wilson to Denver. Like, that's, you like I, those short guys in uh, Seattle. No longer. No longer. Here, like, that's kind of a sneaky thing. Well, like, remember, you had Dan McGuire. He was like 6'7". He couldn't throw the ball down the field, <laughs> yeah. and, you know. Thanks for that. Thanks yeah. for that. I appreciate that. Not, so the height, I think, you know, look, 
I just I like that he's a fighter. He's a scrapper. Yeah. I think he fits Pete Carroll's mentality. And if you could get him for pennies on the dollar, which I think it's headed in that direction, because right. I think ultimately Baker's going to say at some point, "I'm not coming to camp." And then when he says that, you lose all leverage if you are the Cleveland Browns. Our big splash is coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Top of the hour. Will be a lot of fun to talk about the Pac-12 and football. Washington having a uh, having a uh, nice little run here with Kalen DeBoer in the recruiting world. So Washington fans are feeling better about that hire. Every day on the show, we give you the big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash! Brought to you by the Exergen Twice Daily Thermometer. Well, the return to Wimbledon for Serena Williams has to be the Big Splash today. It was trending on Twitter, along with the word stunned. Serena Williams began and ended her comeback after nearly a year out of singles competition. She looked like she hadn't competed in a year. She missed some shots. She shook her head a couple of times. She's got 23 Grand Slam titles, but she did not have it today at Wimbledon. She lost to Harmony Tan of France. Uh, I think Serena will get back. Um, Not her last match, I don't think so. Uh, By the way, um, her older sister Venus was basically jumping out of the guest box at center court to celebrate uh, the big big points, but... um, Really interesting to see a newcomer to Wimbledon, Harmony Tan, knock out Serena Williams. That's our big splash. John Wheeler's coming up. We're going to talk about the Pac-12. We're going to talk about Washington, Washington State, Oregon, and Oregon State. We'll talk about George Klyovkov and what the Big 12 is doing to copy the Pac-12. Leave it right here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I used to work at the San Jose Mercury News years ago, and it was an honor to work alongside John Wilner. He, he is such a good reporter, such a good writer. All over the Pac-12 conference. We have him on this show all the time. And he's joining us now, live via satellite. Where are you today? Where, where is John Wilner today? Uh, I'm sitting at home today. Uh, <laughs> you gotta, you, you, you can... know, when you say the thing, uh, the thing about this, your San Jose Mercury Houston is you, you for, always forget to mention that you were only at the Merc for six days, right? <laughs> uh, before yeah. you went on to bigger... Yeah. Better and better things. That's what it probably felt like, you know. <laughs> it it felt, uh, you know, to me it was interesting because I had I had part of a baseball season, MLB baseball season, and then I had an NFL season, and uh, you know the Niners and Raiders were interesting. Like Bill Walsh was on his way out, and you know, everybody's wondering what would happen to the Raiders when Al Davis died, and 
And then, yeah, I and then, you know, I, I came up to the state of Oregon and, you know, you and I have I, I, I still consider you a co-worker. Is that is that weird? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, and, you know, and, and certainly we, we see each other and talk to each other enough that it, it feels I mean, I see you more than I see most of the people I work with. at the I know. News. I know. And and I and it's funny because you and I will communicate on things that I'm writing, things that you're writing, just like we're coworkers. Because, and I think it works because I think you know we're we're working in tandem to cover this conference. And I and I appreciate your your expertise and your work. So, keep doing what and you as, do, man. As do I. As do I with you. Okay, let's have a serious conversation now. Okay, enough Jimmy jacking around. The the Big Twelve Conference is going to hire a commissioner who is sort of cut from the George Klyovkov mold. They're going after, uh, you know, the guy that was with uh, Jay-Z's Rock Nation, Brett Yormark, is the chief operating officer there. He's an outsider to college athletics, but it feels to me like they're looking at Klyovkov and going, we'd like one of those. I agree. I think Klyovkov's success, you know, he's been well-received, both in the conference and nationally. Uh, he hasn't appeared like he's an outsider, right? And I think the fact that he's been successful kind of it gave the Big 12, emboldened the Big 12 a little bit to, to follow the same mm-hmm. path, right? Because the skill set needed to run a college conference right now, especially the, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, a little bit different than it used to be. And the other piece to this is that the executive search firm that worked with the Pac-12 on its commissioner hunt is the same search firm, Turnkey, that is working with the Big 12. So they they feel like they got it right with the Pac-12 going outside the box, so they're willing to go outside the box with their advice to the Big 12. Let me ask you this. Have you and I been too easy on Klyovkov? Because Larry Scott was such a drag. I, I wonder if we're giving Klyovkov too wide a berth. Or what do you think about that? Have we been soft on him? I mean, I've thought about that just in my own coverage. Uh, but I think, you know, there is such a huge improvement in the internal workings of the conference, right? Not necessarily the stuff that the public sees, but the way the conference, the conference office is working with the campuses. Mm-hmm. The improvement in trust, collaboration, transparency, you know, those things are not, you know, headline making and, and most fans don't even care. But those are, they're all really important for the conference to function effectively. And for many, for a long time, I don't know exactly how many years, but a long time, it was kind of dysfunctional. So I, I give him a lot of credit for that aspect of it. The, the external, the front-facing stuff, you know, an honest assessment would be he hasn't really, you know, not for any fault of his own, but two big issues, the biggest issue for sure he still has to tackle, and that's when we'll be able to make, I think, a better judgment. Once once the media rights deal is done, then you can make a you know a more complete assessment of his tenure. Yeah, I think you're right, and I and I said off the top of the show today, like it's it's been a goodwill tour for him, and and the conference needed that. Like they needed some needed wins. It. Like the ads needed to feel like they were loved again. Like you know they'd been alienated and left out. And oh, for sure. Well, yeah. and plus. Plus, and I'm just speaking for myself here as a reporter. I'm not speaking for other media members. When I talk to him, I don't feel like I'm getting told that the sun is rising in the West because that's <laughs> what you happened 
for many years, when you're seeing something and then you're told by the commission, no, 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 it's something else, you constantly feel like you're getting spun. And and now I just feel like somebody's telling me straight, right? I think that a part of his appeal is he's willing to admit that the conference is is not performing great in some areas, that the Pac-12 networks are a disaster on the distribution front, right? I mean, that, that candor, I think, has helped him, you know, uh, build trust with the schools, but also uh, his public appeal. You got a chance to do a Q&A with him. His anniversary is coming up here in like three days, uh, one year on the job. It'll be Friday. It'll be the official anniversary. But one of the things that came up in my talk with him was I asked him about MLS and the deal with Apple TV. I asked him, you know, could the Pac-12 network end up on Apple TV? He said they are a potential bidder for those rights, that the Tier 1 rights, the major games, would probably end up on linear TV on a big network, but the Pac-12 network could end up on Apple TV. Would that be a win for the network to survive and end up somewhere where it's available to those who want it? Um, Well, I guess I would say it depends. I don't know. I don't know enough about Apple TV to say right now it would be a win if Pac-12 football games are on Apple TV. I'm not sure that if that's the right platform. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe in two years it will be. But at this point, I think, yeah, the Pac-12 networks are going to survive. Maybe you know, of the Olympic sports are going to be on the Pac-12 networks, and it's going to be a streaming service, right? To me, the question is, where's the football? And, and the men's basketball, right? Is that going to be on Apple TV? Uh, you know, just Pac-12 networks distributed by Apple, or is all the football going to be on ESPN, Fox, Turner, CBS, you know, the more traditional players? Because I think they have got to make sure that football is visible, is, you know, is seen, right? Yeah. I don't know. Apple TV, to me, I don't, I don't know that the recruits and the people who dictate where the talent is going are going to watch Pac-12 football on Apple TV. No, I think you're right. And I think what could happen is all the football games go to a traditional provider, and then it, for the Olympic sports or the studio shows, the you know the the, you know, the Saturday night or you know, Pac-12 after dark stuff, uh, that could still end up on Apple TV or, or somewhere else uh, along those lines. Um, let's pivot a little bit and talk about Washington for a minute. Kalen DeBoer kind of flew under the radar and his hire came around the time USC brought in Lincoln Riley and that took up all the oxygen in the room Washington fans I think uh, got real quiet for a while they suddenly started talking again seems to have some recruiting momentum Uh, what's going on with Kalen DeBoer I mean it's easy for them to start talking right Montana's not on the schedule this year Um, I would say (laughs) I will not, by the way, I will not make that comment when I'm on with Softy uh, in, in a little while. Oh, come on. Um, come on. Yeah. Uh, yes, you can. So I think that the big <laughs> thing, they got a receiver. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pin it on you. Uh, I think that it really changed for Washington recruiting-wise. Well, was it three or four weeks ago? They got a commitment from a four-star receiver, Rashid Williams, from the Bay Area. And that was kind of a breakthrough guy. And since then... They, they really have gotten some momentum, and now they got a you know an elite edge rusher from Texas. Uh, so they do seem to finally have some momentum. I don't know how much of that 
is connected to any kind of change in their NIL approach, uh, anything that's going on with their donors. I haven't looked into it, but clearly the Huskies have got some momentum on the recruiting trail for the first time, I don't know, in probably two years, two, three years. And the fact is that DeBoer is almost getting a break because he's not, there's no games, right? So yeah. they don't have anything to judge him poorly against on the field. So he's able to build some momentum and some goodwill with this recruiting. Is it possible, they don't play Utah, they don't play USC. Let's say they're a little better than everybody expects them to be. How good is that? Like, what's the upside in year one for Washington? I mean, I think upside, maybe they can beat Michigan State. And, you know, in 9-3, and three, to me, top end for the Huskies is probably 9-3. and three. They beat Michigan State. They get good quarterback play, probably from Michael Penix, the Indiana transfer. You know, and they go, say, they're 7-2, and two, something like that in conference, and they end up 9-3. and three. But they could also be 5-7, and seven, right? They, I think there's a pretty big range for them, uh, you know, and, and a lot of it has to do with, with their quarterback play. It, they were, they weren't as, their talent level was better than it showed last year because they were so poorly coached, especially in offense. Yeah, I think the the fall of Jimmy Lake was, uh, was you know, I think a lot of Washington fans saw it, the program stalled in the time after that. We're talking to John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News, covers the Pac-12 conference. Uh, Jake Dickert, the coach at Washington State, uh, I asked him last week, I said, Cameron Ward, I keep hearing everybody talking about Cam Ward, how good he is. He told me, he said, great feet, gets rid of the ball quickly. Uh, if we can keep him upright, uh, we got a chance. They, <laughs> yeah. they have questions well, on I the mean, offensive line. But yeah. how, how good could they be? Could, could they be a sleeper? I picked them to finish second in the north. Uh, I mean, the thing is, are they a sleeper? Because they were, they were one game out this past season, right? I mean, if Oregon State had beaten the Ducks, if I'm remembering correctly, Washington State would have won the North. So, uh, you know, I don't know that you can consider them a sleeper because last season they were pretty darn good under incredibly difficult circumstances. So I got them right now, I got them second. Like if you're thinking about it as a North-South deal, I've picked them second in the North. Um and, and I think Ward could be really, really good. There's a lot of teams, you know, that, that their fortunes kind of rest on their offensive, questionable offensive lines, keeping their quarterbacks upright. You wrote about talking with George Klyovkov about the conference schedule models. Um, there will be a, a de-emphasis, I guess, on division opponents. But what, do, what should we expect to see when they unveil – their new nine-game schedule model at, at the uh, at their preseason media event uh, late ni- next month. Yeah, I think that we're not going to see any kind of schedule weight toward the div- division opponents. It's going to be like assessing it as one single twelve-team uh, lead. So here, let me flip it and ask you a question: Oregon fans, would they rather play Oregon State every year? Or Washington every year, if they had to choose. I, th- I think they need to play Oregon State, but I, I think they also want to play Washington. I think those. I think you have to give them those both of those games, don't you? And I, I don't I think, think you, you do. Yeah. yeah, because I think you have to keep the rivals in intact, 
And then I think so. I think you have to play Washington and Oregon every year, and you have to play uh, you have to play Oregon State and Oregon every year, and Washington's got to play Washington State every year. And so maybe you just you marry Washington State to Oregon State, and you say, okay, those four teams are gonna play each yep. other every year. But you know, I I'm sure they're running a bunch of different models. What else goes into the, figuring this out? Is you talk to Klyovkov? Well, that that's the that's the dilemma right there. Is how many guaranteed opponents do you have each year? You know, mm-hmm. annual opponents. And I don't think the Pac-12 can get away with just having one and have each team play their natural rival every year and then rotate through the others. So, to me, what makes the most sense, and I know they're they're talking about this, is a, is a pod system. And you have the Northwest Pod, the California Pod, and the yeah. Four Corners Pod, and that would allow three three annual opponents, and then you've got eight teams rotating through those six slots. And I know that they're, they're thinking about that, and, and uh, Klyavkov told me that they really are going to try to find a balance between the natural rivals but also making sure that the players get to experience every opponent during their career. And right now, the way this whole thing is set up with the divisions and the California schools playing each other, you know, there are instances where you know players can be on the team for three or four years and, and not end up facing facing a, an opponent from a different division. I also think if you play if you if you keep the pods intact, you know you're throwing out divisions, but it allows you to cut down on travel too because you, yep. you're you're staying regional at least in a couple of few instances. Oh yeah, I, it, that is that is big. The, the regional there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to having some kind of regional tie to, to that schedule backbone. And the other thing that we can't forget is, you know, the presidents have got to approve this. Uh, and the California schools, if they dig in and four presidents are saying, we want to play, keep playing each other, the, the rest of the conference isn't going to be able to move off that, right? So they, they're going to – the pod system satisfies the four California schools and basically – you know, not that it would ever get to this, but prevents there being any kind of significant friction in the in the boardroom about the the rotations, right? Because if they if the four dig in together, the the league is stuck, right? They can't. They, there's no way to maneuver around that if you need a super majority vote. Is Utah the lone hope for the playoff for the Pac-12 this year, or are there other candidates? How good will Bo Nix be? I think he'll be, I'm going to say B plus as a as a quarterback. B plus. I, I like I, I like his experience. Plus, yeah, I do too. Yeah, I, I don't think Bo Nix at B plus though will will lift Oregon, even though the defense is good, especially the front seven. I don't think that's good enough for Oregon to get to twelve and one. Do no. you? Because that's no. the thing. No, you have to start in reverse order. You're only getting in the playoff if you're thirteen and zero or twelve and one. That has been established for eight years, right? No two loss team has ever made it. Who is good enough to go twelve and one or thirteen and zero when you count the conference championship game? I don't know. I don't think Utah is, but I think Utah has the best chance. I mean, and if Utah beats Florida, then then certainly the the, it, the prospects improve. But that's the way you got to look at it. Is anybody good enough to go twelve and one? And I don't really think that anybody is. No, I think Oregon's got eight or nine wins written all over. Yeah. I think that, I could I see Oregon yeah. at nine and three. I could see him at eight and four if they have a hiccup somewhere. 
because I think they're going to start 0-1 with the Georgia game, and then you know you're, you have to be damn near perfect uh, from there out. I'll give you one that I think is a little bit of a sneaky. I think UCLA. Keep an eye on UCLA. Like with a, with DTR coming back at quarterback, Chip Kelly, maybe, maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly they'll have a nice padded record because they got three cupcakes on their yes. schedule. Since, yeah. You know, Michigan bailed on them, so they they scheduled they scheduled light. Uh, but but yeah, no, UCLA could they're they're in that group. Okay. UCLA, Washington State. You know, uh, to me, they're the next yeah. level. If you've got Oregon and Utah and USC, probably as your top tier, yeah. then that second level is probably Washington State and UCLA. I'm not sure anybody else is quite good enough to to get there. It feels like Utah or bust, and you know. It, uh, on that note, I know you got to go talk to Softy now, so I want you to uh, let him know that I said, whew, "Thank goodness they don't have to play Montana." <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> All right, take care, my Will friend. Will do. All right. All right. There's, I'll see you. Thanks. Bye. There's John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News. Anna's popping into the studio. I always feel smarter after I talk to Wilner. Leave it here. You got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I've never been to Wimbledon. I got to admit, I was uh, I was watching uh, some of the highlights of uh, Harmony Tan's win over Serena Williams in the first round at Wimbledon, and. Uh, couple of things. One, Serena didn't look like Serena. Two, I was looking at the grass at Wimbledon and I was thinking to myself, like, how cool would it be to see a match there at center court? That would be a really cool thing to see. Watch a match at center court. Anna's popped into the studio. Anna, Sporting events. And Judah, I want you to participate in this as well. Maybe Sean as well. Sporting event. What is the best live sporting event that appeals to you the most? And let me throw this out to the listeners as well. What live sporting event appeals to you the most? 503-417-7575. Anna, I'm going to throw this on you to start. Kick us off. I'm looking at the green grass at Wimbledon. Yeah. I'm watching, Ser- you know, Serena, she had some moments. But she also had some moments where she was looked like she was on a comeback. Did you notice the tape on her face, by the way? She had some, like, KT tape on her face. I was so curious about that. I thought she was trying to intimidate. No. She looked like, you know, like, you know, in football, like a linebacker <laughs> will, uh, you know. Yeah. Eye black or whatever. Yeah. No, I actually Googled it because I was so curious about it. She says that her sinuses have been bothering her. Hmm. And so she uses KT tape on her face to try and help with the pain. It's kind of on her cheek. Yeah. Cheek area. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. But it's got to be hard for her because she's so good. Yeah. Like her career, she's been so good. This is like, you know, Michael Jordan with the Wizards at the end of his career. Mm -hmm. It was hard. To watch, but he was still passable on certain nights, and he could still get it done. I think for uh, you know, and and Serena Williams should not sweat the fact that she was eliminated from this tournament. Like there, there's there's going to be other opportunities for her to continue this comeback, but uh, she got beat 
in the first round match. Now, what's your favorite sporting event? It's volleyball. <laughs> you would want to see. I love volleyball of all kinds. I, I think probably because you want to see a bunch of people at a beer picnic play volleyball. That's your dream sporting event. That's fun to watch too. <laughs> But I think because I played volleyball, so I probably understand it better. I mean, second to that is a baseball game. I just like the pace of a baseball mm -hmm. game, the atmosphere, a hot dog in my hand, and a beer. Um, but other than that, like indoor sport-wise, I, I love watching yeah. volleyball. I wouldn't do volleyball. I've watched enough volleyball I know. for a lifetime. <laughs> I would do. Uh, I would be out at a baseball game. I'd be at Wimbledon. It's going to be outdoors. It's going to be green grass. It's going to be sunny skies. Judah, where would you be? You want to go watch volleyball too? Yes. Uh, I want to watch volleyball with Anna and John and just uh, have a good time. Maybe pickleball while we're at it. Um, <laughs> hard to beat the baseball atmosphere for me. An afternoon spent at Wrigley Field or another iconic ballpark. Could be a regular season. It doesn't even have to be an important game. But just speaking personally, hard to beat. Uh, that level of joy for me, just chilling, watching Cubs, Cardinals at Wrigley or something like that. Now, if you wanted to spin it to, like, more iconic sporting event or more iconic venue. No, just a regular old event, but you yeah. got to, you know, I'm not going to volleyball. I don't know if Anna understood the question. That's <laughs> That would feed your soul to be in some gymnasium I love watching, watching volleyball. volleyball. I love it. And maybe it's because I went to a school that didn't have a football team. And one of their best sports. Oh, that's a low blow. That was, is a low blow to the football players. At, baseball. Oh, you're talking not talking about high school. No, not talking <laughs> about high school. I, I, thought, I thought you were talking about your high school no, struggle. we wow. had a football team. We just yeah. didn't win a game all four that's years. That's what I thought. Park Rose. Park Rose. Uh, uh, Shout out. Go but Broncos. You went to Pepperdine. I did, and so you like, went to one of those elite schools. I on scholarship, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I so we like Pepperdine had a fantastic baseball team. Like mm -hmm. it won the baseball World Series, I think, back to back. Yeah. Yep. Um, so baseball was big. Uh, men's water polo was well attended, and you like to so watch that was, one. So, so was men's volleyball. Man, I would have not been a big sports fan at your college. <laughs> okay, I went to uh, I went to uh, Chico State. Yeah, which is kind of like the Pepperdine of Chico. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the Pepperdine there. I was not on scholarship, but luckily it only cost nine hundred bucks a semester to attend when I was there. So okay. I was kind of on scholarship, if you think about it in today's world. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. I want to hear from you. What's your dream sporting event? Judah and Anna have given us no help on this topic. Uh, Sean, I'm going to come to you momentarily. Uh, Mike is in a loa. Mike, save this segment, please. Okay. Well, I want to see professional football or professional, professional or not professional, but college football on a muddy field. <laughs> you want a you, you know, want a that, sloppy that, game. That that's football. You know, when it snows in Green Bay, they plow the field. Well, why isn't the field muddy by the end of the game? Because it's frozen. It's like a popsicle. I know, but it's water, and there's cleats on the field. And I've, I've seen past games where Green Bay is playing Chicago on a uh, muddy football field. That's a low-scoring game because all they can do is run the ball. Yeah. I think that you have had such advancements with the ground screws, mm -hmm. with stadiums, that they've taken a little bit of that um, variance out of the equation.
Yeah. Like, I do remember, as the caller pointed out, I'm not sure he saved the segment, though. I, as the caller pointed <laughs> out, he wants to see a bunch of guys roll around in the mud. Okay? You want to see volleyball. Uh-huh. Judah How are we doing? is I saying why, a base. Why is mine a bad answer? The question was, what sporting event, like, Gives just, you the most pleasure, like a baseball no, no, game. Gives you I the didn't most say pleasure. pleasure. I said nothing about pleasure. I, I don't know what you heard. Pleasure in my head, and then you said best sporting event. Then you said dream sporting event. Yeah, and then what's it's your all, dream? Changing the question. What's your dream? Like what's your dream? Your dream is Anna's dream is to be in a gymnasium. That guy wants to oh. see a bunch of guys rolling around in the mud. What? Uh, Judah, what's your dream? <laughs> I, okay, I'll say World Cup match. I'd love to go to a World Cup. Okay, match. I'll buy that. Yeah. At least you're outside. You go to Seattle and you could see a World Cup That's right. match. Sean, what what sporting event? <laughs> you better make it good. Yeah. Courtside NBA would be really cool, especially if there was like a marquee player in town, especially if it was a playoff basketball game. Okay. A Super Bowl, obviously, I'm not sure that one's been said yet, would be really cool because you get the music at halftime as well. Yeah. And then a personal <laughs> one for me would be uh, Olympic track and field. Okay, Olympic track and field is an acceptable answer. Everything else sucked. Uh, no, I think no. I'm just gonna tell him the Super Bowl. I got news for you, totally overdone. The fan, the real fans don't go to a Super Bowl. It's a bunch of corporate people who don't even know the names of the players. Uh, the game moves very slowly because of the long TV timeouts. Uh, the players are all tight and nervous before the game. Um, I think. I think the halftime show is better on TV than it is in person. You've seen one, Anna. I've seen nine of those halftime shows at the Super Bowl. I can tell you, like, I can't. I remember. I remember Prince. I remember the Rolling Stones. Or excuse me. It was Aerosmith, not the Rolling Stones. It was Aerosmith, but they had Paul McCartney or somebody out there. And then uh, uh, that's it. Now, you, you know, were you were there for uh, Timberlake, right? Yeah. All yeah. right. How do you not remember that one? It was okay. Timberlake and Hooser, uh, Hooser uh, face. I'll say. I don't know who you're talking about. Janet Jackson. You're talking about Janet Jackson. Yeah, you were at that game. Maybe you got locked out of Reliance Stadium. You said. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You I have was at to. That game. You have to remember that. Yeah. One. Yeah. I, yeah. But I don't remember it because we didn't see it like you guys saw it at home. Well, I didn't see. It. I was gone. You know. Yeah. We closed my eyes. I've never covered the damn game. But here, here's the other thing. Like Sean, Sean's idea that that the courtside basketball thing is not a bad idea. But he brought up something. He said, especially if there's a star player in town. Like if LeBron's there. Yeah. Gross. So what I'm getting at with this is Gross. if I can transport you for a day to this dream sporting event, where do you want to be? Forget the people involved. Like, what do you want to see? And for me, it would be, I'm at Wimbledon. I don't care if Serena's playing. I don't care who's on the who's playing. Like Judah could be playing against Sean at Wimbledon at center court. I'm at center court and I'm watching great, great atmosphere, great place. I'm having a beer, or whatever you drink at Wimbledon. What do you drink at Wimbledon? I don't know. Wine? It's not a mint and julep. That's yeah. the derby. Oh, oh the derby's That's fun. fun. That's fun. Good hats. Good hats. Does Anna already have like derby hats in her closet right now? No. Or like if you guys Anna's went to, mm-hmm. I don't think Anna's been to the derby. You been to the derby? I've never been to the derby. You didn't get invited. Yeah. I went to the derby. Thanks. I went solo. Thanks. Yeah, you were, you uh, you stayed back. I'm gonna I tell you. I drink my mint julep at home. I think, I think the mint julep is a disgusting drink. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's gross. Yeah. It's yeah. it's cough syrup. Yeah. You know, nobody said, oh, I like to have some cough syrup today. No, nobody yeah. says that. So. So you're just going to slay the Super Bowl. You're going to slay the mint no, julep. I'm not slaying football. Yeah. Because if Sean had said, 
you know what? I want to see a game at Lambeau Field. Uh huh. I'm like, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. See a game at Lambeau yeah. Field. Too cold. I, uh, all right, Monday Night Football, it, the uh, SoFi Stadium, Justin Herbert's playing. Uh-huh. Pretty good. Okay. Wait, good how atmosphere. come you said that? It's not about the athlete. Okay. See, Monday Night Football problem, game. problem, Sean. Monday like, Night Football he game. He just changes it all the time. <laughs> Let's go to the phone line. Welcome to my world, <laughs> getting, everyone. I'm getting Welcome no, I'm getting no help. No, I Listener. This, this began as what is the best <laughs> sporting event to watch what sporting event do you would you most enjoy? I was no this started cuz I was looking at Serena playing at Wimbledon yeah and I said that looks pretty cool the yeah. grass the atmosphere I'd like to go to Wimbledon what gives you the most pleasure okay so listeners you got to save me from this gaggle of people here who are trying to hijack this segment Matt in Salem <laughs> what what would bring you joy Matt say it's either swimming or track and field at the Olympics that's a that's an acceptable answer. Does it matter who's swimming or <laughs> no, he's at the Olympics. or leaping? He's at the Olympics. <laughs> you only know him for two weeks during the Olympics. After that, you forget about him for another four years. Damn right. M- Matt in Salem, thank you. He gets it. Appreciate you. High IQ. I don't even need to give him a test. That guy's got a high <laughs> IQ. Declare it right now. Good job, Matt. I, I guarantee you Matt's got a high IQ. He's a problem solver. <laughs> Let's go to Ben and Camus. Ben, what brings you joy? I would want to be at Augusta National on a Sunday watching the Masters final round, preferably with Tiger in contention. Okay. You were, uh, you're mostly right there, but, yeah, you can add the Tiger thing as flavoring. He's just basically he's ordering butter on his popcorn. <laughs> That's okay. He's still saying he wants popcorn. That's what I'm getting at because I feel like I would – like I've been to a lot of places. I've been really lucky to go to all these sporting events and be a lot of different places, right? I've seen way more than I would ever have imagined I could have seen. Five Olympics, nine Super Bowls, World Series, Kentucky Derby, Belmont, you know, all this stuff. And so to me, I'm desensitized to some of this. What appeals to me is going somewhere I've never been, Wimbledon, the green grass, I'm outdoors, center court, who cares who's playing? I would do the same thing with Fenway, Wrigley, a variety of Major League Baseball ballparks. I would be, I'd love to be at a game today. I was going to say, where does the World Series rank in terms of the enjoyment that you've had covering these major sporting events? I, the thing about the World Series is you get a home crowd in yeah. every game. Right. So it's not a neutral site Super Bowl corporate crowd. Mm-hmm. Now, the tickets are expensive. But you have real fans that are inside the stadium. Yeah. Season ticket holders buy those seats, and, you know, the diehard fans will find their way in there. So I do love, like, a World Series, I think, to me, is better than a college football playoff championship game, unless your team is playing, or a Super Bowl, unless your team is playing. Because those other two events, they just feel like it could be anybody, anywhere. It's, you know, it's a tournament, you know, Mm -hmm. get in there, you know. But the same goes for... The Olympics, the caller who said he'd want to go to swimming. You know, do I want to watch, like, youth swimming for four hours? No. (laughs) But if you give me, like, the greatest swimmers on planet Earth, you give me the greatest rhythmic gymnastic people on Earth, Mm -hmm. I'll watch that. I've done that. Yeah. Handball. I've done it. You're watching somebody who is the best at what they do. Hmm. You know, it's like when you, you get a hardwood flooring guy over at your house to give you a quote on something. Yeah. 
you watch him do his thing, and he, yeah. he gets down, he's seeing things you wouldn't see. You're watching, like, you know, the greatest hardwood flooring person in the world. It's interesting. <laughs> you know, I could get into that. I see. I'm telling you, we're in traffic, Anna. We come upon those construction sites. Yeah. It's like an ODOT, bunch of ODOT workers. Uh-huh. Like eight of them are standing around and two of them are actually working. Yeah. I always look at what they're doing. And sometimes they're doing something really difficult or interesting. And I'm like, you know what? That guy's like the Michael Jordan of ODOT workers <laughs> right there. And yeah. we're witnessing it. Yeah. All right. Do I have time for one more? I think I do. Let's see who we got. Sean's in Sandy. We got to meet Sean at Worlds of Sport. Hey, Sean, what's going on, man? Hey, John, I, I want to be at the All-Star Game in Seattle next year. Okay. I think that's a great, you know, I, there's a lot of great places to go to. You know, NASCAR, Daytona would be great. I don't think I want to be inside a building watching someone swim, smelling chlorine. Um, I think you're right. You want to be outside, yep. you know, eat, drink, be merry. Yep. Have like a great that. day, you guys. Yeah, I appreciate you. Eat, drink, be merry. Mm-hmm. See, captured it. Yep. You guys did. have you have fun at your volleyball match. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on seven fifty. The game. So much to talk about. I'll take your phone calls if you want to share your sports setting that would bring you joy. I also want to talk about sleep for a second. Did you know um, there's a thing called the Scandinavian sleep method? Um, it The Scandinavian sleep method is basically people sleep with separate blankets. They found in a study that if you share a blanket, you uh, are often interrupting the other person's sleep or they're interrupting your sleep. 61% more interruptions. Carson Daly, the, uh, the uh, what is he, a talk show host? I think so. The Carson Daly? Yeah. Um, he, he announced that he and his wife are getting divorced two years ago, mm-hmm. but not really. They're getting a sleep divorce. They decided, because she was pregnant, she was like in her third trimester, yeah. and he, he had sleep apnea, and they were waking each other up, and they were arguing about it, and they decided they would have a sleep divorce. They would sleep in separate rooms. Now, I don't like the idea of that, like, you know, separate rooms yeah. to each his own, but I don't. for me, it's not for me. But this Scandinavian thing is kind of interesting. Everybody gets their own blankie under this, this study, and I was looking at a study and they were saying, basically the uh, abstract for this sleep study says, sleep is a vulnerable physiological state. <laughs> you have to feel safe. You don't, you don't need to be on high alert when you're sleeping. And if you're with somebody who steals the covers, you, you might have to be on high alert. I would just ask you, would going to separate blankets be, uh, be a sign of your marriage being in trouble? <laughs> going to separate rooms. Is your marriage in trouble? Oh, God. Can you, by, by virtue of sleep, determine if you got troubles? I mean, 
I don't think that separate blankets is necessarily a bad thing because, especially because I think you're a lighter sleeper than I am. Way lighter. And half the time I'm waking you up because I'm pulling the blankets, like more blankets over to my side, whether yeah. I'm awake or, or not. Or you're shouting out in Mandarin. That too. That Those two things. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. David and Victoria Beckham have totally separate wings in their house. What? Like they they get to live separate lives. Do, do they, they even know like each other? They have to. It's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, if you could get it down to a wing, I'm sure you could do that. But uh, this study basically says that you know if you are having sleep issues or you're waking up or being disturbed a lot, what you should look at is maybe having your own blanket. Hmm. Um, Sixty-one percent of adults sleep with a significant other in the room. Uh, one quarter of those who are married or cohabitating report that their relationships are affected by their spouse's sleep patterns or mm -hmm. habits. Mm -hmm. Their spouse's habits. Yeah. You have a thing where you can't, you don't want to go to sleep unless I'm also going to bed. Like we can't have separate bedtimes. Well, like if I'm out, like I'm covering a game or something, yeah, you won't go to bed. I'll come home and the lights will be on. Could be in the wee hours of the morning. I know. You have like one eye open. Yeah. <laughs> like half the sleep. I know. Uh, Maybe you know. that'll change over time, but for now, I still there's part of me that still wants to know that like you've made it oh, home. You okay. got to know where I am all times. Well, that's one way to put it. <laughs> the loving way to put it would be that I just want to know that you're home okay. Where is you know? he? <laughs> <That> you... <laughs> Jeez. Let's go to the phone lines. Jay's in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Jay, what's up? So I've got a, an event for you that I think you'll like this one. It's the Prefontaine yeah. track event. Okay. Uh, it's at a beautiful venue, you know, historic and now kind of epic, world famous it is very pretty. It's outdoors. It is track and field event for the, the ADD uh, fan because it's really designed for TV, so it moves very quickly. But the fans get nuts and get totally into it, whether they're real track and field fans or us less educated ones. I mean, the crowd excitement and passion and rooting on is just really fun. So that would be that would be my event. I think that will meet your yeah. standards. Yeah, I wonder kind of about what's going on in Eugene right now though. They had, you know, they had the uh the the Pac-12 championships for track and field. Mm -hmm. They had the uh, you know, the uh, NCAAs, did the high school state championships. They got the world championships coming up. I get what they're doing. Like they've got this phenomenal venue. But is there some track and field exhaustion going on in Eugene right now already in front of the world championships coming up in July? I think so. I think I I have people coming up to me going, didn't the world championships already happen? <laughs> yeah, they're confused. You know, they're confused because there's so much track and field that's going on down mm -hmm. there. But I, I'm torn between, like, does it feel special anymore? People in Eugene, can I hear from you? Is it special that the world championships are coming? Or... Are you looking around going, man, I had no idea redoing Hayward Field was going to result in every track meet feeling like it was the world championships. Mm -hmm. Judah, are you with me here? Like, like, isn't it seem like every other week there's a huge meet going on? So I'm not a P1 track fan, as it were, but I would kind of agree with you. Just like there's a lot going on at Hayward Field, but 
at the same time, like, I know the World Championships are still a ways out. They're in July, I believe, right? A couple yeah. weeks. <laughs> July 18th or And so, if I, I need think. to know a track answer, I just check, text my boy uh, Sean McPherson because he's got yeah. all of that lined up for me. But it sounds like you're talking to people down there in Eugene, John, that uh, are giving you those type of vibes. Yeah, but people are I, – I don't know. Sean, you tell me. Is it is it going to be less special because we have just seen a tremendous logjam of track and field events in one venue? Yeah, so – Last weekend, they had the U.S. Championships, so all the best Americans competed for the spot on the world team, and attendance did really poor, actually. It was, you know, between 2,000, and I think the best day was around, you know, high 3,000s, which that place can seat, you know, upwards of 15,000, even 20,000, I think, if they expanded a little bit, so, and added extra seating. So, yeah, not a not a great sign for the world championships, but I think... The World Championships will bring in a lot of foreign people, and I think it'll do pretty well as a result. I mean, I would hope so. The tickets are crazy expensive. Yeah, the tickets are, I think, way... Like, I understand we're talking about a world event, but I think you're pricing out some of the uh, folks that are down there around Eugene who are going, hey, man, I've been here the whole time, and here come the World Championship. Like, day passes for some of the big sponsor events are literally like fifteen hundred dollars to get in one day. They get you in one day, <laughs> like you know. Uh, and it, it to me, like, I feel like I kind of keep track with what's going on in the state. Like yeah. it's kind of my job. Yeah. But I've lost track of what of what's going on at the track with Hayward Field because I'm like, wait a minute, what is it this week? You know, is it the NCAA's? Is it the Pac-12 championships? Is it the state high school championships? Is it the world championships? Is it the U.S.? What is going on? So I I wonder about people there, and I think Sean's right. Like, there might be some people just taking a breather from the U.S. championships because they're going, hey, I'm not going to both. Mm -hmm. I'll go to the worlds. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I like baseball. I like Major League Baseball. Last couple of days, I've written twice about baseball. I don't know if I've done that on back-to-back -back days in 20 years, but it, it's just more the the season than anything. We are sitting here inching towards July, and I'm excited for August and September because that brings college football season. Generally, June and July is spent with, you know, when I first arrived here 20 years ago, people told me, they said, oh, nothing happens in the summer. Well, the NBA happens in the summer, free agency. And now we have, uh, as we mentioned in the last segment, a bunch of track and field going on. And I think this, you know, our sports calendar has been off for the last couple of years, but we're back in rhythm again. Uh, I am looking forward to the college football season. I'm looking forward to getting into stadiums. We talked about this, though, uh, earlier in the week and last week. Season ticket sales at some of the Pac-12 schools are soft right now. USC got a, a little spike, an uptick in their season tickets. Utah's got a great fan base that is rabid. They have a wait list of 5,000 for their season tickets. The Utah fans are nutty. They're nutty, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, <laughs> they are in. I have a whole bunch of Utah fans who will follow me, and they will, uh, you know, tweet at me, and... 
the Utah fans are all in. How do you foster that if you're Oregon or Oregon State right now? Why is it that the Utah fans are so all in? I think it's pretty much, I mean, it's kind of what they've got, right? Like they have the Jazz and the Jazz and U- University of Utah, maybe BYU. And that's it, yeah. right? So it's sort of lack of, it's like our fervor for the Trailblazers, you know? It's, it's what we've got, so we're going to be into it. We're going to be fans. Yeah, and they capture it and they play to it too. Yeah. Like I think the University of Utah does a really good job of kind of saying this is who we are, this is what we are. Mark Harlan, the AD there, does a good job. But they have a wait list of 5,000. That's crazy. some of these others are really struggling to sell tickets at all. We'll talk about it more. The happy hour is ahead. you got the BFT. Why don't you leave it here? BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, this is the happy hour. Okay, can we bring the people some joy, Anna? <laughs> yes. In this happy hour? I thought that's what we were doing already. <laughs> Are we not? Can we only I don't bring know. them joy in this hour? I can't tell. When you're immersed in the middle of it, sometimes you can't tell. Yeah. You you're know? a little feisty today. I don't know if anybody's noticed well, that. Well, this is what I did right before the show. Okay. We have this strip of grass right in front of the house. It's in front of our house. It's the only grass that we own anymore. Because we went, keep this between us, please. We went artificial grass in the backyard. <laughs> but we got this strip of grass. What do you call it? The parking strip? Do people? What do they call that thing in front of the house? I don't know. What do you call that strip of grass that's in front of your house without Googling it? Judah, what is it? I call it the Kanzano uh, artificial strip. No, it's real grass at our house. Oh. Sean, what is that strip of grass that's in front of people's houses called? Uh, I don't have an answer here, John. A hedge? I don't know. Hedge? <laughs> <laughs> it, it sometimes looks like a hedge. When we don't mow it, it becomes a hedge. It's called city grass or... I'm okay calling curb it the lawn. Curb, curb lawn. lawn. It's where the basketball curb hoop lawn. goes. The Devil's Strip. My gosh. What do you call that? What do you call that? <laughs> What's the strip of grass that's between it's, the... Let's just call it... We can call it whatever we want. You know, let's the, just call it the strip. The the the, uh, the space between the sidewalk and the street. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If if that... what If we're going to name that, uh-huh. what is it called? What is your guess without looking it up? Is it called the the... <laughs> The strip? I feel like no matter Wait, what does... we say, it's not going to be the right answer. It has a name. I'm, I'm sure it has a name. <laughs> I call it the tweener. The, the tweener. tweener. It's the frontage grass? I don't know. In, uh... I digress. There was five minutes before this, this radio show was airing. Yeah. No, it was actually seven minutes. Seven. I looked at my... Okay, first of all, I went and got the mail... I was ready for the show. Uh-huh. I was prepared. The show sheet was done. I felt like, you know, I'm just going to be sitting here for 10 minutes. I'm going to go get the mail. Okay. So I walked out of the front of the house, and I noted that that strip of grass, the strip club or whatever you called it, yeah. is is out of control. Yeah. The strip club's out of control. Yeah. So I 
noted a mental note to myself. I said, after the show today, when I take the garbage cans out, mm -hmm. I'm going to mow that damn strip. Now, mind you, I have a mower whose only purpose in my life is to mow that strip of grass that is approximately two feet wide <laughs> by, you know, the length of the front of the house. Yeah. Okay. That is the only reason that that lawnmower exists anymore because we don't have any other grass. Uh -huh. We've got we've gone grass free except for that strip. Yeah. Okay. The median grass, whatever it's called. Colors. I just got word on it. I just yeah, got word it? on it. Sean, uh, what is caller it? from a caller named Andrew. It's called the furnishing zone. Oh. Okay. The furnishing zone. Thanks, Andrew. Allegedly. All right. The I furnishing. I like strip club better. I like the strip. Uh, anyways, where were you at? Where were you at right before the show? I was the down. Land. I was down at the strip club. The landing strip. Uh, oh, that's something different. Yeah. Um, so oh, I'm, I'm down, getting the mail. The carpet. I, I make a mental note to myself. I'm just gonna plow forward here, <laughs> listeners. I'm sorry. Plow, good one. Um, so, I said, you know what? After the show today, I'm gonna mow that thing. Yeah. And, and it was a little out of control. And it's yeah. amazing in Oregon when it gets warm. Uh huh. How the Unwanted foliage yeah. just goes, this is our time. Yeah. You know, We're going to flourish. They just stand up yeah. and they rise up mm -hmm. and they go, this is our, this is our moment. Yeah. It's like Mel Gibson in, you know, that movie where he's yelling, they can't take our freedom, you know? <laughs> so it's, uh, I made the note to myself that I was going to mow it after the show. Yeah. I walk back in, I'm listening to the end of the programming that is the show that precedes us. Uh-huh. I'm still going to be sitting here for about seven minutes. So I said to myself, I'm going to mow that damn strip. Really? I bolted out of the studio, mm -hmm. got the lawnmower. Yeah. I got to walk that thing practically around the block to get it over <laughs> to the front of the house. I'm watching my iPhone and watching the minutes melt. And I'm going, I got seven minutes. I got six minutes. I got five minutes. I'm mowing now. Okay. I got four minutes. I'm mowing. Yeah. I'm still mowing. And now, granted, it's not my best mow job, but I'm just – and I'm basically <laughs> preparing myself mentally for when a neighbor pulls up and rolls the window down and goes, hot enough for you? You know, I'm preparing <laughs> myself to go, not time for that right now. I got a job to do here. And, or, I'm, or I'm waiting for the neighbor who's out examining his driveway. Yeah. As he often is down at the corner. Yeah. And he is uh, – you know, and that's what happens when you get older. Yeah. You kind of stand in your driveway mm -hmm. and look around a little bit. My grandpa used to do that. He'd stand in his driveway and wait for something to happen. Yeah. You know, he'd be out there for hours. Yeah. But I'm waiting for that guy to go, hey, come on over and mow my yard. That's your favorite line. Yeah. Yeah. While you're done with that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say, no time for that. Okay. I mowed that strip. Uh-huh. Then ran the mower back where it belongs. Really? And you then made got wow. back in here. Yeah. And I still had a minute. Yeah. Were you not out of breath well, as I was the show began? Totally out of breath. Yeah. Got myself a glass of water. <laughs> totally out of breath. But also very satisfied uh -huh. that I mowed the strip. Why why do you put that stress on yourself? That like you just chose to inject a deadline into your day like that. Anna, that you're, sounds really you're, stressful. Uh, you're kind of one of these people who believes you travel time. Yeah. So don't talk to me about I, know. I had seven minutes I, to I only asked that because I know it from experience. Yeah. It's like, why am I doing this? Um, I liked it because it kind of woke me up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Got your blood flowing. Got my juices were going. Yeah. 
I was ready to go. It's like when you're, you know, uh, when you're driving and you start to get a little drowsy and you're like, oh, this is not safe. I shouldn't be driving anymore. I should pull over and yep. do something about it. Roll your windows down. Yeah, sometimes rolling the windows down doesn't really help. Like, sometimes you got to just pull over and, like, run 100 yards. I've never then, done that. Like, on the then, freeway, this is what you do? No, not on a freeway. <laughs> pull over into a parking lot somewhere. And you run. You run. Like, you just go take off in a dash. Okay, I don't. Like, a 100-meter dash, and then run back to your car. You are wide awake after that. I feel like I don't even know you right now. Yeah. You were you were pulling over to like a Home Depot parking yes. lot and running a I've, 40? Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> no, yeah. you haven't. It totally works. No. Yeah. I, I would not do that. But to your point, I'm a little feisty yeah. because I think that's, uh, I was, you know, I was kind of feisty mowing that lawn. Mm-hmm. And now I got it done. It was kind of getting embarrassing. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking when I got the mail. I was like, these people are going to think we moved. <laughs> You know, so we got that done. We got the show going. We talked a little bit about Adley Rutschman at Oregon State, who's tearing it up now with the Orioles in the last 10, 11 games. He had a home run last night. His grandpa was in the crowd. His first time his grandpa got to see him play in a major league stadium. Hmm. He hits the home run. It's like the natural. He's coming around third base. I feel like I should have music for this. He's coming around third base, and he uh, he ends up pointing – at his grandfather in the crowd, Aww. like how cool is that? That's a they're gonna, you know that's a movie, you know. Yeah, that's pretty special. And I think to myself, like you know what? Very cinematic. For people who know the, you know, if you know the story of Adley Rutschman or Ad Rutschman and Linfield and McMinnville, you got Ad Rutschman in the crowd, ninety years old. And you got his grandson at the plate. I feel like I could do that even better. I mean, that's great. Like, what a wonderful thing for him to point at his grandfather as he's rounding third base. That's beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Looks so, good. But if I was going to produce that better, I would probably do something like this. I would have played those two sounds back to back. Ad Rutschman in the crowd. Adley Rutschman, his grandson, at the plate, former Oregon State catcher. You got uh, Pat Casey in the crowd as well. But think about this. Let's let's just do it this way. How about this? Wait, 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 wait. I got to start this over. I got to turn the sound back up. Sorry, I'm doing this for my amusement mo- mostly. But <laughs> bottom line, um, if if you were going to create this as it was a movie, okay? Went in on 3-2, Rutschman drives it deep to right field, off the very top of the wall, but gone! It hit over the yellow line for a home run! Well, you can certainly know where the family Rutschman and he's pointing to him. The fan club is. See? Did that give you chills? Anybody get you goosebumps? It worked. It worked. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it now. We got the five at five. The five biggest things kind of going on right now. The five at five. Let's stay in baseball. My number one in the five at five. Freddie Freeman in the news today. Freddie Freeman is telling his friends he's angry. Former Atlanta Brave ended up with the Dodgers amid free agent negotiations in the offseason. He says he's angry with how the negotiations played out. 
He is changing his representation. He's firing Excel. He's currently listed now as being self-represented. This comes just days after Freddie Freeman made his return to Atlanta. Remember, he was a mainstay in that Braves lineup. They win a, they win a World Series. I was going to say Super Bowl. They win a World Series. Freddie Freeman ends up leaving Atlanta, ends up with the Dodgers. He went back to get his World Series ring, got a standing ovation, tears in his eyes. I think Freddie Freeman's homesick. I think he went back to Atlanta. He said, I never should have left this place. I sold my soul to go to the Dodgers. What was my agent thinking? He's now fired his agent. Do not be surprised if Freddie Freeman ends up back with the Atlanta Braves in the next 12 months. That's my prediction. And that is number one in our five at five. Well, on the baseball theme, I read this with some dread because of what it means for Portland. The Oakland Athletics now, according to multiple reports, won't be assessed a relocation fee if they decide to move to Las Vegas. Mm. So this clears the path. Compare that to the Raiders that paid $378 million for the right to relocate from Oakland to Las Vegas back in 2020. So this would eliminate a pretty significant financial block for the A's to move to Nevada. Kind of seems like baseball is just giving up on Oakland altogether, like pro, like pro sports in general. Raiders out, Warriors go to San Francisco, A's not headed to Portland, but headed out. But no franchise relocation fee just makes that easy. Sounds like baseball just wants this done. It's They're given the blessing for sure. Given uh, the blessing. Fascinating. Well, number three in our five at five. I touched on this earlier, but I think we got to go deeper on it. Deshaun Watson's NFL hearing kind of came to an impasse earlier this week. It is scheduled to resume tomorrow. He's been accused of by 25 women of actions ranging from assault to inappropriate behavior. The NFL is pushing for a suspension of at least one year, according to ESPN's Dan Graziano, who's reporting on this. Watson is saying he didn't do anything wrong, but he has still four or five lawsuits that I think are still out there that have not been settled. Meanwhile, mixed up in this, part of the same equation, you have Baker Mayfield, who is still under contract with the Cleveland Browns, saying he's reached kind of the end of the rainbow with the Browns. Like, he wants to move on. The Browns want to move on. And yet the Browns probably are holding on to Baker Mayfield with the, I guess, fear that Deshaun Watson gets a one-year or two-year suspension. They don't have a quarterback. I think the Browns are going to get get what they deserve in this one. I think the NFL is going to suspend him for at least one year. And I don't think Baker Mayfield's going to want to play for the Browns. I think he's going to say, nope, I'm good. I'll sit out. Trade me. It's going to get ugly in Cleveland. It's been ugly in Cleveland before. They, they kind of specialize in ugly. Anna, number four in our five at five. You go. Oh, I'm so excited about this. So Ninja Warrior fans, those athletes could be making their way out of reality TV to the Olympic Games. 
TBS, a Japanese TV network, and a creator of Ninja Warrior, the show, have revealed this week that the obstacle course competition will be tested to see whether it should be included in the Los Angeles Olympic Games in 2028 as part of the pentathlon. Fun fact, what are the five sports of the pentathlon? Currently, fencing, swimming, equestrian show jumping, laser pistol shooting, and running. But what they're talking about is to have the Ninja Warrior competition replace the equestrian show jumping slash riding discipline. I, I'm, all, I'm in favor of getting the horses out of the, the pentathlon. I didn't know those were the five disciplines of the pentathlon. I, I was holding out hope that cornhole was going to end up as, you know, the, the extra. I don't know about this Ninja Warrior stuff. You know what I mean? You, I like you see these Ninja Warrior cats? They're yeah. all long and lanky. It's a great sport. Long-haired, lean dudes that are just like yeah. on the rings. I'm into it. I think it'd be a good change. Don't they have their own championship, though? It's the they Ninja do. Warrior. Like, why but do they need another one? To be included as part of the Olympics, I think, would be How about cool. darts? Lawn darts? Finally, the fifth thing in our five at five. Let's talk about this LIV golf tournament. It's coming to North Plains, Oregon, Thursday. The LIV will happen. Four-time major champion Brooks Kepka talking uh, to reporters today. He got a little cantankerous with reporters who were asking him about the timing of his decision. He insisted that um, he changed his mind after the U.S. Open, people don't believe him because remember, prior to the U.S. Open, he kind of said, I'm not going to do this. And after the U.S. Open, he went, okay, I'm doing this. Here's what Kepka told reporters. You were vocal in your support for the PJ Tour in the past. What changed? Uh, just my opinion, man. My opinion changed. That was it. Um, you guys will never believe me, but we didn't have the conversation until everything was done at the U.S. Open um, and figured it out. And... Just said I was going to go one way or another. Here I am. Were the facts of the decision change, or, or what changed from you know when you said that PJ Tour you were happy on the PJ Tour to, to now? Like I said, opinions change, and I I feel very comfortable with the decision I made. I'm happy, and um, I did what's best for me. He's being criticized by other PGA players. Rory McIlroy, the most notable. He said. Uh, I've got respect for Rory as a player. He's good. He's phenomenal. I'll be honest with you. I didn't see it. He's entitled to his opinion. Kepka and some others have not resigned from the PGA Tour. Nobody kind of knows where they stand. And I think that continues to be an issue for the Tour. If you remove the Saudi thing from the LIV thing yeah it, it changes the calculus a little bit here a lot because then it's just an event that is disruptive challenging the PGA to emerge from its gray older less fluid stance is that a good way to put it mm -hmm. but because of the Saudi involvement it gets murky and everybody gets distracted in this debate to me, it's not a debate about oil. It's not a debate about, you know, it, you're either talking about is this good for sports that somebody's challenging the PGA Tour, or you're talking about uh, Pumpkin Ridge selling out. Like, that's a debate. 
Did they sell out? Of course they did. That's the five at five, five kind of big things that are going on. Let's talk about the LAV Golf Tour. Are you going to the event? It's happening Thursday through Saturday. Pumpkin Ridge Golf Course is shut out its members. It's rolling out the red carpet. Um, do we know? Like, I, I don't. I don't know that there are protests that are going to happen. I'm certainly not advocating for anybody to do anything that they weren't already planning to do. But I'm kind of wondering if that is going to happen. It's out in North Plains. So it's not like it's an easy place for a lot of protesters to get and set up. Like, this isn't happening in downtown Portland. Mm -hmm. Do you guys think there will be protests? Um, I think there may be a handful of protests. I haven't. I just haven't heard a lot about it on that 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 front. Yeah. You know, there hasn't been the uproar that we might have thought that it would be, and I'm sure that they are taking measures to keep any kind of demonstrators far yeah. away from golfers and and probably spectators. You know, they they have. You know how golf courses are. Like they have some measure of control over what happens on or near their premises. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you've got a lot of farmland around it. Yeah. So you, I think you, if you're a protester, you could be standing out by like highway 26 right. on the way into North Plains protesting. Uh, I don't know. I, and, and I am, I have, I have some bad feelings about the whole thing. I just don't like the, the sellout nature of the whole event. But I also am somebody that goes, look, I don't mind the XFL. I don't mind the USFL challenging the NFL. Sure. I don't mind that because I think it makes the NFL better. The NFL has got to look at, like, is, is, the UF, is the market telling us that we need to change or get more fun or, you know, do something different? And I think, like, when the XFL had players that were really celebrating their touchdowns and the NFL at that time mm -hmm. was not allowing, it was the no fun league. Yeah. I do think it, it forced the NFL to kind of go, all right, we need to, let, we need to have a better time. So I think this LIV event has... I think an immediate impact on the PGA Tour in that I think the PGA, if it's looking itself in the mirror, is going, how can we be more fun? Do we need to do these team events? Do we need to have music on the course? How can we be more fun? How can we make it more festive? I think what's been obvious so far is that, you know, in watching this press availability with the golfers that are now in Oregon, they've been heavily coached. Oh, yeah. Because they are using the same, almost the exact same words verbatim. Like, they're talking about moving on, and they're looking forward, and using golf as a force for good. I mean, these are like the same exact things that Phil Mickelson has yeah. been saying. So they've obviously been coached up by whoever is handling the PR for the event. Do you think if the LIV actually gave do – you, do you think the LIV tour gave out talking points? Like on a piece of paper. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because right. they, they know that they're going to be questioned about morality and geopolitics. And yeah. they're doing their best to quell any discussion of that. All right. I'm going to write some of this at johnconzano.com tomorrow. I have the talking points. Oh. I've got them in hand. You knew the answer. I just wanted to see what you thought. <laughs> I'm going to read them next. I'll read them on air. The talking points that the LIV handed out to insiders and golfers i got a copy of it and i'll read them on air next
You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Okay, I got a copy of the talking points that the LIV Golf event is given to golfers, and I got a copy of the talking points that uh, the Escalante Golf Company gave to Pumpkin Ridge to talk about the event. Greg Norman will be at the event. He will be involved with the event. It is included in the talking points that the people at the LIV tournament are giving. They're basically telling their employees and telling the golfers, Greg Norman will be at the event. He will be involved with making them a success. That's the talking point. They're literally bullet points. I'll publish it all tomorrow at johnconzano.com so you can read them all. But they are also talking about uh, the Saudi involvement in this thing. So what they're telling employees to tell people is when it comes to the investors in the tournaments, uh, recognize that Saudi Arabia is part of the golf community. Since 2019, the Asian Tour and the DP World Tour have held tournaments in Saudi Arabia in which 120 players from around the world participated. We don't view this opportunity any differently. There you go. Um, they're also encouraging people to not talk about broadcasting or ticket sales when it comes to talking points. It's interesting to me that they are downplaying that. It kind of affir affirms the idea that this event is not about making money. They're also reminding people that the PGA Tour is separate from the PGA of America. Um, they're saying basically uh, refer questions about the PGA Tour back to the tour directly. Don't answer questions about the tour. So they're also talking about Pumpkin Ridge. Um, Pumpkin Ridge uh, is telling its employees, we have entered into an agreement with LIV Golf. It's no different than any other host site for any other professional sporting event. The details of the partnership are confidential. We believe this is unique and unprecedented for the game of golf. That's the talking point they want their employees at Pumpkin Ridge to get out there. The details are confidential. We believe it's a unique event, and it's an opportunity for the game of golf. So you have that as well. They're also telling uh, the employees uh, around the event that this is a great opportunity for the players. They're also telling uh, people that, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the Invitational itself is a startup event, and we're glad to be part of a startup. Uh, also telling people uh, involved in the event that um, the notoriety of Pumpkin Ridge and the track record at Pumpkin Ridge of hosting world-class professional events make them an ideal host for the series. And again, we are excited to be part of it. I mean, it's clear here on the 15 or so bullet points that are coming out that they're steering into the idea that this is um, not the PGA Tour this is an exciting time for the game of golf. This is an excellent venue. Uh, we're hosting this event like, you know, like we host any other event, uh, really trying to steer away from any of the controversy. And that makes sense. Like from a PR 101 standpoint, um, you're certainly trying to get, you know, uh, trying to get the conversation, change the conversation around the money grab that it is and change it to, you know, this is great for golf. Now, look, I know some of you out there 
are fine with this event happening. You're excited that, hey, this, this is an event happening in the Pacific Northwest and whatnot. Uh, there are other people out there that are really upset about it. I do think we have some common ground, though. I think we all can recognize that there are disruptive events that happen across sports with the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, competition, labor strikes. There are events that happen that, that sharpen the sports world, that make it better. This has the potential, this LIV event, has the potential to force the PGA to, to, to make the PGA better. It does. So there's some silver lining there. I also recognize, like, the hypocrisy in trying to single out, you know, Saudi Arabia's involvement in this event versus, you know, Saudi involvement in other industries, airline industry, the, certainly the oil industry, and people going, hey, why aren't we having a problem with Nike in China, but we're having a problem with the Saudi uh, backing of an LIV golf tournament. Now, that's fine. That's a debate we can have. Some people are not going to be comfortable with it. Some people are going to be comfortable with it. It may divide us a little bit. But at least we can listen to each other and go, okay, you know. But here's my, my point. Like, I had somebody email me and they said, hey, you know, you buy gasoline, but you're not okay with this event. And Yeah, but I go to the gas station. I don't have a choice to say, you know what, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the gas that doesn't have Saudi oil connected to it or Saudi money connected to it. You don't have that choice, but you have a choice when it comes to these tournaments. You have a choice to support China. You have a choice to support Saudi Arabia. You have a choice to, to take a stand in, for whatever it is that you value. And in this case, I, the, the thing that bothers me, I think, as much as anything is just the, you know, the fact that we're having this conversation uh, you know, in the wake of, you know, U.S. Senator Ron Wyden, you know, bringing up Fallon Smart, you know, a 15-year-old kid who was killed by, you know, a Saudi citizen who was in the Portland area going to community college and, and going to Portland Community College. So this 15-year-old gets run over and killed. This community college student that's from Saudi Arabia is facing charges. And we all know what happened. The Saudi government helped the person who uh, was facing criminal charges get out of the country. And it's not an isolated incident. The Saudi government has been complicit in this kind of stuff over and over again in our region, in our backyard, so to speak. And, you know, I got a hard time being okay with a golf tournament going on while, you know, a family is still looking for justice with their 15-year-old kid who got run over. And, you know, and, and Ron Wyden brought it up on this show and, whether you voted for him or not, I think it was a valid point. Like, hey, are, are, should any of us be okay with this? So, you know, I've told people, look, don't – I'm not watching the event. I'm not into the event. I am going to write about the event. I, and frankly, i got to be honest with you. I really don't care who wins the LIV event. I don't care who wins. There's no drama to it for me. It's not like a major – and it's kind of underwhelming in that way. But I understand if you're out there and if you're somebody who, you know, you absolutely have to go see this thing and it's golf in your region and you're excited about it, that's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to dislike you because of that. I think we got to get to a place, especially in this sports world, where, where, we, where we stop, like, vilifying each other because we disagree. If you disagree with me, it's okay. Like, it would be a boring world. If we all agreed, and and frankly, I'm not going to always get it right, but I hope that you recognize where I'm coming from, 
And, and I hope that those of you out there that are really upset about this, like, you're entitled to be upset about it. Like, I think there's parts of this that are really alarming to me as I learn more about how Escalante Golf sort of offered up Pumpkin Ridge as one of the, one of the locations. And, you know, they were desperate to make course improvements. They were, they were seeking financing. They were looking for a loan to make course improvements. They were vulnerable financially. And I think the Saudi, you know, sovereign wealth fund saw an opportunity to, to hey, we can buy these guys out. They're looking for some cash. We got cash. So, it, you know, I think that's how it happened. And that's why this event is happening in Oregon. I hate that it's happened. The first event, I hate that it's happening here. It, it's not what we should be known for. People should be focused on the world championships. People should be focused on everything, you know, college football, everything that's going right in the state of Oregon. Phil Knight buying the Blazers, potentially. Get focused on that. The Blazers drafting a, a, a talented kid in the first round. Get Get focused on that. But instead... You know, again, I said this radio show is supposed to be an escape, and here we are talking about something that feels too much like real life. I want you to leave it here. Get the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We got a big week of radio here. We got some big guests coming up later in the week. I'm uh, I'm never booking this show just to fill time. You know that if you listen to this show. Often uh, we're off time. Judah, you tell the new guy that I, I rarely stay on clock like where I'm supposed to be. Like it's I try. My favorite part of the show is when you were talking about mowing your, you know. Uh, your strip there. Strip. Man, well, speaking of which, well, I just talked to a guy about that. <laughs> um, and you were like, yeah, yeah, I was gone up until showtime. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. We were trying to reach you at 55, 56, 57, just to sorry. make sure you were there because, you know, training yeah. a new guy and everything. And uh, and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he'll be there. Don't worry. He'll be yeah, there. Yeah, you don't worry. I'll he'll get where there. I need to be. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of which, okay, so I this show is broadcast from the home studio. Okay, and then you guys are in downtown Portland in another studio. So we don't see each other, but we talk to each other all the time. And, and you know, I've found comfort in that. But during this last commercial break, um, Anna took off because she went to boxing class with the six-year-old who's the boxer. So she's off boxing, and the doorbell rang. Okay, so I got to go answer the door. I happen to be on commercial break, luckily. But it's an odd existence that I live where I opened the door and Felix was standing out there. And Felix said, hey, uh, you know, your wife called about maybe some yard work. And I said to him, hold that thought. I got to run inside. I'll be back in 10 minutes. So I came back. I came in. I did a segment of radio. Okay. Talked about the LIV tour. Then I went back out. Felix is out front. He's taking pictures of, you know, some of the yard work that she had asked him to do. Uh, and... I said to him, well, we talked for about three minutes, and then I said, hey, I'm hosting a radio show. I got to go. <laughs> and he said, radio? Really? And I said, yeah, I got to go. I said, I'll call you, and I ran back inside. But it's just a weird existence, and, you know, in the end, that's, yeah. We just, we're just kind of making this show up as we go some days. 
But I love that we uh, we can uh, get to a point where you know I'm going to be there even if you, I'm not answering you. Felix is a great name, by the way. I just, yeah. uh, and I feel like that fits a landscaping guy, too. Yeah. Like Felix is a landscaper. You know what I loved about great. him? You know how the like the landscaper guy he has like the leaf blower and he puts on the uh, the uh, big earphones when he does the leaf blower. Oh yeah. Felix was wearing the uh, earphones around his neck. Yeah, it's he's swag. He's har- hardcore man. That's right. You know he's feeling it. He's feeling that, good. That's how I got to do that. But Felix is informing me. He's he's saying uh, you know I, I I said I don't know I don't know what she wanted you to do. She took off. But. Uh, <laughs> Here's what we got. Wait, she's uh, in boxing class, or the little ones in boxing. Little ones in boxing. So she's a she's a boxer. This is a legit place, right? They're not yeah. going to close down in a month. No, it it's the same place she was at. Oh, somebody took it over. Somebody oh. took it over. Oh yeah, that place. They ripped us off. Okay. okay? okay. Buyer beware. Buyer beware. Here's the thing. You know, the six year old wanted to box. She said, "I want to box." I don't know where she got the idea. It wasn't like we were watching pay-per-view boxing and she's got all excited about it or something. Or, you know, we weren't in like a Buffalo Wild Wings watching a MMA fight or something. But she just said she wanted to box. And, okay, let's feed that passion. So Anna was doing some research. She does this stuff. And she, she found a, a boxing gym that's not that far from our house. And she uh, said, let's go scout it out. We went and watched the people when they know they didn't know where they were being watched. You know, we kind of just watched them and struck some kids. And we were like, you know what, this is the place. And then uh, the sad thing was the actual instructors were not like the owners of the place. So the instructors weren't the owners, but they were pushing us to pay for the whole year. Okay? Like pay for a year in advance, you get a discount. And also they were pushing us to not use a credit card. They wanted us to pay by check. Like you get a bigger discount if you pay by check and you pay for the whole year. And so it literally was like $985 was the check, okay? <laughs> and Anna said, like, her, she never pays in advance because you don't know. you got a six-year-old who's going to go a month later. I don't want a box. And you're only out, like, $65 instead of out whatever. And so in the end, but she said, hey, it's way cheaper if we just pay for the whole year. I said, just pay for the whole year. Sure enough, two weeks later, show up for boxing class, sign on the door. We've gone out of business. And it was evident we weren't the only ones they did this to. Like, there were multiple other people who had paid for the whole year. They were basically telling you, and why wouldn't they want you to use a credit card? Because you can get a refund from your credit card company, and that credit card company could probably reverse the charge. So it was kind of shady what they did. But the bright side is there are good people out there, and somebody else decided they wanted to take over the gym and train the kids, and that other person said, hey, we'll honor everybody else that got ripped off. We'll honor whatever the old gym took from you. Just uh, if we do a good job, you know, re-up with us in the end, and which was a good, you know, that's good faith right there, right? So the kid is still going boxing. She, uh... She knows the difference between a jab and a cross. She knows combinations. And it's kind of funny to see her because she's so tiny. I mean, she's a tiny little half-Asian kid with glasses who's, like, you know, got her boxing gloves on. But she came into this studio that I was in last week or two weeks ago. I can't even remember. I have a Roy Jones Jr. boxing glove on the wall. 
just hanging on the wall. There's just a bunch of crap that's hanging around here, around me as I do this show. And she says, uh, oh, you got a boxing glove. I said, yeah. She goes, is this, uh, is this a famous person who signed this? And I said, that's Roy Jones Jr. who signed that. So she took the glove when I wasn't looking, and she put it on her hand. I mean, it's like she can't even lift her arm up after she puts the box, the real boxing glove on. She's like, this is a big glove. But, it, you know, you, you uh, I digress. You, you look at your kids. You try to find out what they're interested in. She wants to box. The other two girls have no interest in boxing whatsoever. But it's just really interesting to see, you know, what feeds that passion. And I think part of, like, Part of like Anna's experience growing up where she grew up and maybe having parents that were working all the time. They owned, they owned a motel on Sandy Boulevard in 115th, and they were always working and, and you know really focused on, as immigrants, trying to make it and provide an opportunity for their kids that, that didn't exist. I just think Anna's much more tuned into if the kids want to play volleyball, let's find a way to let them play volleyball. If the kids want to box, let's find a way to let them box. And and I support that too because it's just interesting to see the kids kind of gravitate. And it is the mission. If you're out there listening to this and you're going, hey, man, I would really like to provide that opportunity for my kids or maybe uh, these are tough times or maybe you know the expenses are prohibitive, uh, I really encourage parents – who, who, to go to baldfacetruth.org and look at the mission of the BFT Foundation because what we're really looking to do is we're looking to help people who who uh, may may end up in a situation where a kid wants to box or a kid wants to play a clarinet or join a drama club and can't afford it. So that is the mission of the Bald Face Truth Foundation, and I know you hear me talking about it, but it's really cool to be able to see that mission help some kids and help provide opportunities and you know, hell, we're doing it for our kids, and I, you know, we want to help anybody who may be in a position where they maybe they can't afford. You know, maybe maybe you have eight kids. You know, maybe you have five kids. Maybe somebody lost a job. Maybe hell, it just costs a lot of money to play things nowadays. Uh, you know, not everything is as cheap as boxing. Boxing, it's sweat. It's gym time. Get your hands up. My six-year-old told me I got in a stance. She says, "Dad, show me a jab," and I. I, I shadow boxed a jab, and she said, keep your hands up. <laughs> I was like, okay, got that going. But I don't know if she can hurt anybody. That's the thing. I don't know if she can hurt anybody with her punches, but she knows them. And, you know, and she likes it. it. It's not one of these things she dreads going to. When it's time to go to boxing, she gets ready. She gets her bag. She gets her gloves. She gets, you know, she got all her equipment. She's ready to go. She only has one black eye so far. Uh, doing her boxing thing. All right, leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Hater Sampson and the Pulse coming up here in Portland on 750 The Game. Great programming coming your way in Eugene on Fox Sports Eugene and in Klamath Falls on 960 AM and in Douglas County on 1490 AM, The Score. Keep it locked in right on your station. Thank you for your loyalty wherever you may be listening. Peter Sampson, uh, what do you have coming up on the uh, Pulse? Yeah, I heard you mentioned a little bit, but I got to go deep into this Freddie Freeman firing his agent. I wondered why he left, and now I'm wondering if uh, this was a case of mismanagement. Yeah, and it, you know what? Do you think at the, the homecoming... Going back to Atlanta, getting the standing ovation, getting the World Series ring, 
it looked very emotional. Like, we don't see that all the time with players who come back to a place. Like, he was legitimately moved by the ovation. I got to think that played a role in him having second thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, he's looking around, and I think it dawned on him, man, I never should have left. My agent made a terrible mistake, or I made a mistake, whatever the conjunction of, of those two things is. And I think you're right, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back to Atlanta in the near term. What could he do? Could he force a trade? Could he uh, just say, I don't want to play here anymore? I mean, you know, he d- apparently doesn't want to be a Dodger. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the NBA. He can't just sit out, you know, like he's Kyrie Irving or James Harden or one of these guys. But I think he can put the pressure on the Dodgers. And look, as much as I'm not a Dodger fan, that is a class organization. And I think if there was an equitable deal, I think they'd do right by him. Meanwhile, Damian Lillard will make 42 point. $5 million next season. 42-5. That does not make him one of the four highest paid players in the NBA next year. Steph Curry will be the highest paid player in the NBA at $48.1 million next season. James Harden, $47.4 million. Russell Westbrook, $47.1 million. And LeBron James, $44.5 million lead the way there. Uh, I don't know about you, Peter, but Westbrook jumps out at me. $47 million for a player they don't want anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the least surprising thing ever that a declining player opted into a nearly $50 million deal. That's the risk of these big-time max contracts, man, is, is players can fall off so quickly. You're forced to lock into these guys, but there's so much pressure, you can't negotiate a more reasonable deal with any of them. If you're anything close to a quote-unquote max player, you have to max them. Do you think there's a lesson in here for the Blazers and Lillard, like, if you're the Blazers, you got Lillard for on this current contract for next season and one beyond, then a player option at $48 million. I want this franchise to pump the brakes, but I got a feeling they're going to try to extend him. I mean, they, they are going to extend him. He's going to get the two-year max at more than $50 million. But, of course, you look in the future and you go, man, is it really going to be worth it? Is he going to decline? How good is he going to be? And I don't think his game will fall off like Westbrook's, but no matter if it's next year or five years from now, that decline's coming. Yeah, it is coming. Uh, keep an eye on it. Leave it here in Portland as Peter Sampson and the Pulse are coming up. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time. Just a good time. Grab the podcast, and I'll catch you tomorrow.